catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Today, we are coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada. We've got a very special guest in the house, had to travel all the way out here to come see him over the pond, over the coast. And I'm here today with the one and only Alex Hormozzi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Genuinely. Awesome. Awesome, man. Alex, it's so good to have you on the show. I've been following you for a while, listening to your interviews, listening to the videos you're putting out there on YouTube and other platforms. And first of all, I love what you're doing. It's awesome. It's inspiring. So for people who have been living under a rock and are not familiar with who you are and what you do, please introduce yourself to the audience. So I, uh, I own a portfolio of companies right now, uh, that, that makes a good amount of revenue. Um, before that I sold uh, three companies in 2021, uh, two for 46 million and one for an undisclosed amount. That was an all stock deal. Uh, before that, I uh, owned a chain of gyms uh, that I grew <laughs> uh, organically. Uh, started sleeping on the floor there. Um, and before that, I was a guy who graduated college, didn't know what to do. Uh, went into management consulting for two years. Decided I didn't like that, mm. um, and decided to quote pursue my passion, which was fitness at the time. And it was also the only uh, business of the three businesses I thought of starting that I could pretty much start without too much money. Uh, and so I put my $50,000 I had saved up at 23 into that. And so I kind of reverse told you the story, but, <laughs> but that's uh, more or less how I got to where I'm at now. And so now we, uh, after we sold the companies, we started acquisition.com, which is the portfolio. Um, and the whole idea was, you know, I'm a big believer that there's magic between something old and something new. Uh, and so, you know, the investing private equity model is not, is not new by any means. Uh, but like social media and influence is kind of still a new thing overall. And so I was like, I wonder if there's something in between there where we can use social media to build trust, provide value, and then hopefully just have companies come inbound that are like, hey, I've read all your stuff. I've gone through, like, I love how you do business. We do business the same way. And so it would create a more lubricated deal process. And that was just kind of a theory when we started it. Um, but it has worked out. And so uh, that's what we do now. So we just we buy businesses, both majority and minority interests in them and help them grow. That's awesome, man. Well, I think a lot of people who know you will sort of be aware of you and everything you're doing just over the last few years as you've come to more prominence and become a public figure. But I'm always curious with any guest that I have on or anyone I'm speaking to who's achieved success in something, I'm always curious to go way back and find out more about their life journey. So tell me more about your growing up, what was Alex Hormozzi like as a kid and through school? I was an only child for the first half. Uh, then my dad remarried and then I had two step siblings. Um, I was, I was pretty much just raised by my dad, uh, for the most part. So I was a pretty quiet kid. 
um, just did my homework, did, you know, did my sports, uh, kind of kept to myself for the most part. Uh, once I got into middle school, that was really tough for me. Getting to high school, I started to like, I went through puberty kind of earlier. Mm. So I had like muscles. Uh, <laughs> there's pictures of me on the internet. Like, like I was, I was pretty fit. Um, yeah. and I had pretty good genes for that stuff. And so that's actually what kind of got me into fitness was I had a, a teacher who was like, Hey, he's like, you lift. And mm. I, I was like, no, he said, you've got the genes. He's like, I'll, I'll show you after school if you want. So I, so I went with this guy after school and he showed me how to work out during my freshman year mm. of high school. And, um, I looked like I worked out and, uh, that kind of set a little bit of the direction of my life. Uh, that kind of got me into what I would consider my relatively angry phase of my life. Okay. Uh, you know, late high school, early college, I had a very like, woe is me, um, outlook on life. I felt like I had been wronged, um, whether it's true or not, it's kind of irrelevant. Mm. Um, but that was how I, how I perceived the world at that point. What did you feel you were wronged about? Uh, you know, who knows, teenage angst. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I felt like I had a, a bone to pick with both my parents, um, in general, mm. uh, the classic feelings of, of being misunderstood, not giving your liberty, you know, having approval from parents withheld from you, despite, at least for me, I tried very hard to gain the approval of my parents. And so, you know, I was on three varsity sports teams. I was the editor in chief of the literary magazine, the vice editor of the newspaper, I was in shape. Like, you know, I tried to do everything I could. Um, but I, I didn't think that the, it, I felt like it was continued, like the goalpost continued to move. And that's fine because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like where I am today, I'm grateful for who I am. Um, and I can blame them both for that. <laughs> uh, but coming up, I definitely didn't have the perspective I think that I do now. And so I was an angrier kid and that was kind of it. And it, the, everything kind of broke through for me around like 19 ish. Okay. Um, I had this psychology course that I was taking in college and we had to write an essay about someone we knew who had a mental disorder or something like, cause it was psychology. So you had to like pick something and then tell the story of how they could have potentially gone in that direction from their perspective. So it's a really interesting assignment. Mm. Um, and I wrote about my mother and in so doing, uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Pascal is, uh, and he was the mathematician, Pascal's triangle, um, Blaise Pascal. He was also a Christian theologian. So it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting. And, uh, he said to understand is to forgive. And so when I wrote my mother's story from the fact that she was, you know, born in France, came here when she was four, got beat up as a kid cause she, you know, didn't speak English, mm -hmm. the classic, you know, for, you know, and this was, you know, before it was, uh, not before it was frowned upon <laughs> to beat up foreigners. Uh, <laughs> we've progressed in some yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. we've progressed. You're right. And so, um, and so anyways, and I was thinking about that and her father was a super immigrant from Serbia. Mm. And so, you know, you have a Serbian man who escaped, uh, the Nazis, uh, with, with his, you know, with his family comes here, builds a life for himself, uh, and, you know, kicks them up out of bed no matter what every morning, like just militant. And that's okay. Cause that's, you know, he realized the opportunity they had, but I was like going through this and thinking, you know, it makes sense that she had some, like she, she is this way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all of a sudden I remember coming back, um, from college and seeing her and I didn't see her that much beforehand. Didn't anyways. And, uh, I remember I don't know, she mouthed off at me for something. Um, and I just remember this kind of very disarming moment being like, I can't be angry with you. Mm -hmm. And then, she just looked at me. I was like, I get it. 
I yeah. get it. It was tough. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. And then she just like burst into tears and, mm. you know, and it was like a nice moment there. Um, but I, so that, that was like a big life lesson for me. It was like most of the times if I'm angry, it means I don't fully understand the situation or both people's context. And so I think that was kind of a big, a big breakthrough for me as a person. Cause I was like, huh, this person that I've like held all this anger towards, if I just like, if I understood more, mm-hmm. <laughs> my anger came from ignorance. Yep. And so that's, that's been a frame that I've, I've tried to approach situations. And when I start feeling angry about something, I'm like, what do I not understand? Um, and that kind of helps me diffuse those things. And so I think over time that's, that's helped me, um, in business scenarios and business settings, mm. make better decisions. Yeah. Um, because I mean, we're all human, we all have emotions, but you know, the degree to which we allow the emotions to affect our decisions, I think is, is, is the, is the thing that we have some, some level of control over. Yeah, absolutely. And that's powerful. And I think that of all emotions and feelings people can have, I, I think resentment is one of the most deadly ones, yeah. both for yourself and for other people. I think it's so, it's so limiting. And I think there are so many people in this world, you know, sometimes with, with good reason, right, who feel and harbor resentment towards other people within their family, people they've met, people who wronged them when they were in school 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, sometimes even their own spouse or their own children, whatever it is. And it just, it, it just eats people up. And it's such an impediment because if you are angry, I mean, there are times when you can use anger as a motivator if you totally. channel it well to go on and do something successful. But it can just be, it can be dis- disruptive and destructive and it manifests in all these sort of different ways. And I just think there's so many people in this world right now walking around with that within them. Yeah. You see it offline, you see it online. Just that person who, you know, you, you post a, you, you post a video of you working out and they're like mad at it. And it's like, well, I'm like, why, why are you angry? Why are you lash, lashing out at someone <laughs> posting a video or a photo of them in the gym? And it's like, all right, there's something that's, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze everyone, but I'm yeah. like, man, there's something going on in the background there and you're not angry at this person, but there's, there's something here that's like triggering you. Um, so you had this breaking point at 19 where you yeah. really shifted your mindset. Were you already an entrepreneur at no. this time in any sort of way? I was in, in zero, zero ways. Okay. Was I an entrepreneur at this point? Okay. Um, so yeah, at that point I, I kind of got my, got my shit together. Darn. Got, okay. my, got worry, my stuff together. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I started cleaning up my act. So I had, I had been kind of like a party boy mm. um, leading into that. So I just always was out drinking, always partying, always just chasing after girls. Um, and then at that point, I was like, I need to take life seriously because this is, uh, my track is not good. And so um, I kind of applied the same thing that I was doing in high school from an achievement perspective back in college. And then I did, did well the last uh, two years because I graduated in three. Um, and uh, kind of followed the path got a, got a job as management consultant, which was, it was mm-hmm. at least for me, it was investment banker, management consultant. The primary reason was they made the most money. Yep. And so that's why, that's why I picked it. I used to be a management uh, consultant as well. Oh yeah. Where? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Accenture. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we were a, su- a subcontractor under Booz Allen. So it was, def- it was okay. uh, defense contracting, public sector stuff. Anywho, in a past life, I had a top secret clearance and all that fun stuff that came with it. It sounds only cool to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, did that for two years, realized I didn't really enjoy the work. And uh, that was when um, I got really depressed. Um, and uh, I just, I just, it was, it was a very hard time in my life at that point, because I felt like I had done everything I was supposed to do and it hadn't resulted in what I had hoped. And so at this point I had moved back home. So I went to school, at, you know, away from home, went back home. Where was home at this point, by the way? Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland. okay. And so, 
uh, went back home, had this job, and uh, I'd done at this point everything that my my father had wanted me to do, and it was his approval that I was seeking. And uh, and the thing is, is like I had his approval, mm. but it didn't it didn't hit the way I wanted it to. And so what I realized was I didn't have my own approval. And so in realizing that, um, as at least for me, the source of my depression was that I was not proud of who I was mm -hmm. because I did not feel like I was free. Um, because I felt like I had made a lot of the decisions I had made up to that point in my life because of expectations of other people that I was trying to meet. Got it. And so um, having met those expectations and not met mine, my own, uh, I felt a big discrepancy. And so uh, it was about six months of me going back and forth of like, I really want to get into fitness. I really want to start my own business. Um, and I would, you know, I'd always call my dad up and he'd be like, ah, you know, give it time, you know, go to, you know, whatever, whatever. And so then I, you know, I was in the process of applying to business school and, uh, you know, do your two years and then you do that whole game. And uh, the first question for Harvard's, uh, for HBS was, how will Harvard Business School uh, MBA help your short and long-term goals? And I stared at the question for like three days. <laughs> And I realized for me, it didn't because mm -hmm. I wanted to ultimately start a business. And so I thought about, okay, well, $180,000 plus the opportunity cost of time uh, versus what I can learn in two years, not spending $180,000 and making money during that period of time. And I looked at the average incomes after HBS was like between 120 and 180. And I was like, I think I could, I think I could figure that out. Yeah. And so um, I still didn't get my dad's approval. And so I ended up actually driving um, across the country from Baltimore without telling anyone. Uh, and I called my dad halfway through or halfway across the drive being like, Hey, by the way, uh, I'm going to be doing this thing. And he was like, ah, just come over. We'll have lunch. We'll talk about it. And I was like, I'm in Ohio. <laughs> and, uh, and then he kind of like snapped, um, rightfully so, mm -hmm. I guess. And, uh, and yeah, and, and we had a, we had a pretty hard time for the next five years. Okay. Um, didn't really talk too much to either of my parents, uh, because I was just trying to run this gym. And so that's when I went to California and, started a gym without knowing anybody, uh, which was, uh, honestly not as scary as it should have been mm. because I was ignorant. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I do remember when I was sleeping on the floor of the gym and I was reading those motivation manifestos, it was not as cool as I thought it was going to be mm. because like you want credit for the, the Rocky cut scene, but when you're in the Rocky cut scene, it's a lot longer than 30 seconds. Oh yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping in a warehouse where there's, there's cars that drive over the top of it. And there's these metal partitions and this concrete box. It was like, doosh, 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 doosh. and it would sound like a gunshot. Yeah. And so I was sleeping there. And so I'd wake up every hour of the night to new, you know, to new cars driving over it. Um, and I, I pretty much like didn't sleep for the first like six to nine months of me being in business because I would wake up at four. The first people show up at 430 in the morning, teach all the sessions, which ended at 10. Then I would do. I would work the leads that came in overnight and clean the gym, set up the the workouts for the afternoon. First people would show up at four, uh, four until eight taught sessions. And then I would do my sales consults from eight until 10 mm. meeting with people. And then from 10 o'clock until my, I couldn't keep my eyes open. I'd run credit cards, do the, do the billing and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd wake up again at four. And so it was just kind of this blur, uh, of life for me at that time. And, um, I honestly don't think I would have been able to get through it if it hadn't been for the amount of resentment I had for my parents at that point. And it was just the fear of going back not successful that continued to drive me through that. Mm. And so like a lot of people when they're, they're thinking about starting a business or going on their own, they're always like, I just, I don't know what I'm passionate about or like, I just can't find my, you know, whatever the thing is. And, um, you know, the vision for me was don't be broke. Yeah. Um, and the motivation was, 
not let my parents be right. And so, you know, I'm a big fan. Like, it's cool. You know, a lot of people see where we're at now and they're like, must be nice. And, um, <laughs> and the real answer is yes, it yeah. is much nicer now than it was then. And I can have bigger visions that are, that can motivate much higher tier people, you know, to go towards a cause. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is like when you're started, you don't have that luxury. And I'm a big believer in the first rule of entrepreneurship is use what you got. And so if you've got pain, you've got anger, you've got shame, you've got fear, whatever that you've got insecurities. Yeah. Like if you don't have the passion, <laughs> use the pain. Mm. I think something else you need to have, it's, it's so interesting you telling that story because there are a lot of parallels with what I did after leaving my management consulting job. So people don't understand the, the grind, right? There's this period, oftentimes it's seven to 15 years of just intense grind where the amount of work you're putting in versus the reward you're actually getting back is so minimal. And then, of course, you reach a certain stage after a decade plus and you start getting the, oh, must be nice or you got <laughs> or you, you got lucky or, oh, you know, I wish I wish, you know, I got that lucky or whatever it is. And I think that's often because people don't people see the end result, although this is not the end stage. Right. Mm -hmm. They see that, but they completely miss the 10 to 15 years prior to it and they weren't there for it. And they probably would not trade their comfort to go through all the nonsense and all the rejection and all the discomfort. So for me, myself, I became a, so I, I worked in a, I, I studied at Oxford University. I graduated with a degree in computer science at the age of 20. Um, and I did music full-time for a year, but then I, I moved it to London, worked in the corporate world, uh, management consultant for three years, 20, 2008 to 2011. Throughout this time, I mean, by the time I went full-time with my music, I'd put out three independent releases, sold a few thousand CDs, just traveling around, selling on the street hand-to-hand. Cool. Hand. And then from literally from 2011, when I went full-time, 2011 to early 2019, I was just hustling. I was just out there. My primary income for the first six years, literally just being out there on the street, I'm sure in certain cities, whether it's Vegas or New York or LA, London, you've come across guys selling their CDs in the street, right? So that was me. I was just out there every day, five, six days a week, traveling all over the UK, north, south, east, west, rain, snow. UK doesn't have the best weather. Snow, <laughs> sun, whatever. I was just out there on the street all day talking to people. I sold over 25,000 CDs hand to hand. Wow. To sell 25,000 CDs, you know how many people you have to talk to? A lot. Oh. <laughs> so when I tell people I've met over half a million people in real life, they always like, oh, no, you just talk on Twitter or mm -hmm. whatever. I'm like, dude, you, you, you've missed the past 15 years. Yeah. I was just out there. And then eventually, 2014, I started doing pop-up shops. So, mm -hmm. you know, in shopping malls, you get those little kiosks mm -hmm. in the middle. So my friend and I, we started our own shop and we were selling our hats, T-shirts, CDs, uh, we used to have our own brand of headphones. So we were selling all that. So from 2014 to early 2019, that was my main bread and butter. So I do one pop-up shop a month for kind of half the month, just be in there, you know, make a small profit, sometimes barely break even because you have to pay all the rental fees for the uh, shopping mall and all that for the space. And you have to pay for all the merchandise and all that. And that was it. I only, I told people this on, on Twitter last year, but I think something important for people to know about my own story is 2020 was the first year that I made more money than I used to make in my corporate job. <laughs> I left my corporate job at 24. Yeah. So it wasn't until I was 33 years old yeah. that I, I surpassed 
what I was doing back then. Because so many people thought, oh, you know, oh, you're a rap. People think if you're a rapper, you're just making money, right? <laughs> just, just because magic, right? Yeah. Um, and people, <laughs> people don't under, understand the grind that goes into it. So yeah. I even had people who thought that I went into this for explicitly, oh, you, you just want to make more money. I was like, dude, if I want to just make money and be comfortable, I, I've got a degree from Oxford. I would have just stayed on that corporate path and, you know what I mean, just stayed there. It would have been comfortable. But people miss all that. And then, yeah, so it, it's interesting. There's a lot of parallels with that story. So coming back to you starting this gym in California, yeah. what made you actually want to do that? And why in California? Because that's a, yeah. if you're in Baltimore, that's a, Seems a little, I know as you're in fitness. Away from yeah, that, possible. yeah, that's very far to just <laughs> go over and start a gym. Yeah. Uh, so there was two, there's two, two reasons. One was I wanted to get as far away from home as I could. Okay. Um, and that was, it was, I mean, it, it sounds more dramatic than it was. It was, uh, I just wanted space. You know what I mean? I just wanted to, I just, I didn't want to be in, in a, a day's drive away. Like I wanted to be in my own area. Cause I think the thing that I felt like, I felt very constrained. I felt like I was trying to meet the expectations of other people. And so I just wanted to have, go to a place where as little of that physically could affect me emotionally. Yeah. Um, the other reason was I was between South beach and California cause they were the two fitness capitals in my opinion of the world mm -hmm. at that point, or at least in the U S and so my thought process was, if I can win there, then I can win anywhere. Okay. And so I want to go where it's most competitive so that I can learn the best, most cutting edge stuff and then win there. And then I can kind of expand nationally. At least that was my, my thought going into it. But uh, those, that, was, that was the main reason. And uh, to a point you said earlier, I think, I think people would be willing to do the grind, but they can't deal with the uncertainty. Mm. Because the thing is, is like, if you, if you say, hey, hold your breath, and you hold your, and the person starts holding their breath. It's easy to do that if you know the person's going to say you can breathe again <laughs> in ten seconds. Yeah. But if you just sit there and you're like just staring at them, mm -hmm. like I feel like that's a lot of what the entrepreneurship thing is. It's like you save up some money, mm -hmm. and then you take the dive and you hold your breath, and you're like, how long am I going to have to hold my breath? And the answer is you just don't know. Yeah. And so I think that's the answer. I think that's the thing that most people are afraid of. And for me, that was my big fear because mm. I just didn't know how long it was going to take. I knew I wouldn't stop, but I didn't know how long it was going to take. Yeah. I love that analogy. I think another core part of it for someone like yourself or someone like myself is we had taken the more normal option to begin with. So, you know, yeah. it's almost like you're doing that. And there's also a rope that you know <laughs> you can grab onto. So for some people, it truly is sink or swim, right? Yeah, there's yeah. people who, totally. they have, you know, they've got no family whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They're going to fall flat on their face yeah. and, you know, be on the street if mm -hmm. they don't make it. You know, if it's like, oh, you've got a university degree, you worked in the corporate world before. It's like, man, I know I can just grab this thing yeah. and live a quote unquote normal yeah. life and be comfortable, but you're still there holding your breath have with this delusional level of self-belief knowing I know somehow, some way this is going to work out. I don't know how yeah. long it's going to take. It could be five, seven, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, and also people don't understand it, right? People are there like, why are you holding your breath? Like, why don't you just be a normal person yeah. and do what normal people do? Why are you going through the, why are you sleeping in the gym? Yeah. Like, what, what are you doing? Right. With me, yeah. I'd be, I'd be just all <laughs> over the place. Just, yeah. I, you know, I, when I left my job, I got a, I got a Volkswagen transporter van. And uh, I wrapped it with like, I wrapped it in purple with the Zuby logo on the side. Yeah. I still got it. It's called the Zuby tank. And I used to would just go on road trips up and down the country, just, yeah. you know, fill it up with CDs and just travel around. Yeah. And of course, to keep costs down, I mean, I had, I didn't normally sleep in my van. I did a couple times, but I just stay in like the cheapest hotel possible. Yeah, I'm going to Manchester for a week. I'm just going to stay in the cheapest, crappiest hotel 
Uh, or if I've got friends there, cool, I'll stay on their sofa, I'll stay on their floor, whatever. Because yeah. if I go, you know, I'm not making that much money. I'm going making, you know, on a good day, you know, maybe 100, 200 pounds. Yeah. And then if I go and I get a 100 pound hotel, it's like, well, what's, what's the point? Yeah, I'm not making any profit at all. Yeah. So there's a lot of discomfort. And then with the musician grind, you add to that the gigging as well. So traveling around and doing shows. And again, people are like, oh, wow, you're on tour. That's awesome. I'm like, maybe it's awesome at like the top level yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> where you don't need to organize anything yeah. yourself and you just show up, you know, collect a giant bag of money yeah. and perform a couple songs, which everyone already knows the words to and you don't actually need to rap. <laughs> but like if you're a low level, lower level independent artist, like yeah. touring is touring is a grind. Yeah, it's not, imagine. it's not, it's not fun. And like you have you, to bring your A game. You've got to bring your A game. Even if there's 10 people in the crowd, totally. you can go there, you know, you're looking at the crowd, half the audience is the staff. Mm-hmm. right the, the sound the sound right, man yeah. the people working at the bar the security guys whatever and you've got like five six like hardcore fans who have been following you on myspace or yeah. on on youtube or whatever and um you know those ones you don't even you don't even break even and yeah. um this is all the stuff that i like talking about it because i wish more entrepreneurs and more creative people did mm. i think so many interviews and so many conversations it, it starts with the here and now it's like, oh, cool. Here, I'm here. I'm already a millionaire. Yeah. And this is all my stuff now. And it's like, well, wait, how did you... I'm I'm more curious how someone made the first million mm-hmm. than how they made the next however many. Because yeah. that that first one, the zero to, the zero to one, one, that's the hardest. And that's yeah. where I think most of the life lessons are. So with that said, let's continue on this journey from you setting up this gym in California <laughs> yeah. and, and sleeping in it, having the trains going over your head. Yeah. Uh, what was the first... What was the first success? So um, I was fortunate, very fortunate. And so I, I want to let the record show. I am just a lucky person. And everything <laughs> I have is from genetics and picking the right parents. <laughs> that way, not, nothing I have is my own. Um, but I, uh, when I, I moved out there, I had... The, so I'll back up because I think this might be helpful for some people. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I decided to go to California, I had emailed, I think, 40 or so gym owners that looked like they were doing okay online. No one got back to me except for this one guy. His name was Seven Figure Sam. That was what his, his thing was. <laughs> and so he was good at like helping gyms be more profitable. And so uh, I got on the phone with him and I told him that I was going to be there. And he was like, all right, whatever. I mean, you're in Baltimore. And so I just drove for 36 hours and then I showed up on his doorstep and he was like, are you serious? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, what's up? Well, let, let me like, let me learn. And he yeah. was like, I have things to do. Uh, like you can like, he's like, where are you staying? I was like, I don't know yet. He was like, Jesus. He's like, you can stay at my place tonight. And so it was really nice of him to do that. And then the next day he said, you know, um, you could be my apprentice. He said, I'll, uh, I get to the gym at four. So be here at four. And I stayed and he works till four. So he would work 12 hours. You do four to four. He's like, all these people think they can't have a family because he had, he had kids and a wife. And he's Mm -hmm. like, they just aren't willing to wake up early. He's mm-hmm. like, I get home at four and I spend the rest of my, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so um, I was able to learn the ropes relatively quick. I only did it for three or four weeks, just yeah. kind of like shadowing them around, understanding the business a little bit. And then I found a spot and he connected me with somebody in his group of gym owners said, you guys should partner on this thing. And so we were going to split a location together because I had, you know, some savings. He had some savings. We were going to do it, which by the way, terrible way to do a business partnership. Uh, you guys have the exact same skill set and might as well just split the money anyways. Uh, so needless to say, the night before we were supposed to sign the lease, uh, the other guy backed out. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden I had to stomach the whole thing and all the money and all the upfront costs, uh, which ended up being one of the biggest blessings in disguise. But a week before that, that guy had said, hey, let's go to this marketing conference. And this is 2013. And at that marketing conference, it was, it was, it was even a conference. 
a workshop. It was 10 people. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy taught this thing called Facebook ads. It's 2013. Let's mm-hmm. talk about luck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like CPMs there. So cost per impressions for anybody who's listening is like, that's what you have to pay to advertise. And on Facebook, it was like $3. <laughs> and so uh, I was running ads for a gym as soon as I started, as soon as I opened the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, so that allowed me to, I remember the first month I made the exact amount of money that my rent was, which was $4,972. And mind you, I had never made $4,972 of my, like me making it. I went from a job to that. And um, that was where actually the panic set in. I was like, what if this doesn't work? I was like, I'm just going on this. And I I had $5,000 saved up. So I had spent like 45 or whatever opening the gym. And I had, I had one or two months of rent's worth of money. And then I was out. That yeah. was it. Yeah. And so I broke even on that. And then, you know, the next month I signed up the same amount of people. So we did 10,000, then 15, then 20, then 25, 20, 30, all the way up to 35,000 a month at that gym. And uh, by month nine, I, uh, you know, had trainers and I had a, a, a manager and it started, it started working. And so uh, month 15, I opened my second location. And then I opened up a new location every six months after that. Um, I mean, I can get in the tactics around this, but <laughs> uh, the way that we were able to do it is I had a, a pretty cool, cool model, which allowed us to get a ton of customers for a low cost and a high amount of cash up front. So we could liquidate our acquisition costs and then we still had the back end. So people would, I could get paid to get customers, which is why I could open every gym at full capacity on the first day. Mm. And so I didn't even have to front the money for the new gyms I would open. I would pre-sell them, use the cash from the pre-sale to buy all the equipment, paint the walls, get the sign, all that kind of stuff. And so I would open up in the, in the black yeah. without ever having to, front any money. And that's what allowed me to grow really quickly from like 23 to 26 in terms of my age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that time I had about, I had six locations. Um, these are all in California, five were in California. And then the sixth one I opened in Virginia. Okay. So there's a rent, there's the, here's where, here's where, here's where it starts to get interesting. Okay. Uh, so I, I start to get to this point where I'm like, you know what? I've got five gyms. Uh, I was actually kind of bored. Um, I was like, is this all there is to life? I reached like a different, you know, moment. Um, and I had seen this guy speak at this conference and he talked about internet marketing and all that. Kind of, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know much about it. Um, and so I like Googled his name again and it was like, hey, I've got a mastermind. And so I was like, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll sign up for this thing. So I signed up for it and I explained my whole business model. And he says, right after I go through this like 30 minute, way more tactical than what I just went over, mm-hmm. uh, breakdown of like how I get all my gyms profitable and all this stuff. And he's like, you shouldn't be running gyms, man. And I... I was, it was, it actually like crushed me in the moment. I was Mm. like, what do you mean? This is like my whole vision. United fitness was like, I got this really strong brand at the trademark. I was like, we're going to be America's gym. And, uh, he was like, I think you should be showing other gyms how to do what you do. He's like opening a full capacity. He's like, that's not a thing. I was like, Oh really? I honestly, cause I was so in my own bubble. I was like, of course you would open a full capacity. Why not do that? Yeah. It's way better. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and so I actually, from there started, uh, doing these gym turnarounds. So I started flying because I had the time. So I started flying to gyms and uh, turning them around. So like I would I'd camp out in front of them. I'd run my ads and I would do all the sales myself and I'd mm. sell them into the gym. So I just fill the gym up and the deal was I got to keep the money I brought in and then they would keep the customers to get the back end. So that was, it was no risk for them. And I didn't have to worry about dealing with the gym. So I just made all the money of opening a gym except I didn't have to open a gym. Okay. And so I did 30 turnarounds over the next two years. So you're like the Gordon Ramsay of gyms. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, we'd be like, I think you're using the yeah, yeah. footage wrong. Like I, you know, it kind of became like a, a, a system. Mm. Um, but the rewind to me doing the first one, I do it. I, I think I did two or three launches in like a month. 
Um, I made like a hundred grand take home. Mm. And I was, and mind you, that was way more than I made from my gym because there's costs and all the other things. Sure. And so I was like, holy crap, no employees. I just made a hundred grand. Like, this is what I should be doing. Mm. And so I, uh, I sold all my gyms in 90 days. Uh, I was just, I just fire sold them because I just, I thought this was the opportunity. And of course, at this point, like my, <laughs> everybody in my life is like, you work so hard to have these five gyms. What do you mean? You're just giving them away, whatever, mm. whatever. And so the first guy that I ended up doing the thing with, he, that, that mastermind guy had a, had a, had an event. And so he asked me to speak on local businesses. So I spoke and I had a hundred people come up to me afterwards because I got all their business cards say like, what can I buy from you? And I was like, nothing. I'm a gym owner. Like yeah. I have nothing to sell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but one guy said, here's my credit card. He said, charge me for $5,000 and let me know what I get later. And I took the credit card. Um, I mean, I was like, okay. Uh, I mean, I didn't take, you know, I, mean, I got yeah, the number. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyways, when I got back from the conference, I called the guy up right, right before I was actually going to run it. I was like, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, run it. Mm-hmm. So I ran the card, went through. And I was like, okay. He's like, cool, what do I get? And I was like, oh, uh, well, you know what? I promise you I'll make you more than $5,000. And so it, by ch- again, luck, child of luck, uh, he had a gym he had to open. Okay. So this wasn't a gym conference. Just oh, okay, by okay. chance, the guy had a gym. And by chance, he was opening one up. Okay. And so I was like, perfect. I'll fly out and do it. And that was the first gym I actually launched. And so that was what got me into to figuring out how to like help other gymers do it. That's, that's what got me into it. Now, this guy in particular was like, dude, I, I can run these things. If you just open one up every month, I'll just come behind you and I'll like staff it. And then we can open a new, a new gym every month. I was like, that sounds great. Um, and so when I did sell my gyms to go all in on this kind of new opportunity, um, after I transferred all the money over to the account that we had shared, because I thought that's how you did it. Um, like one morning I woke up to the second gym I was launching with, with this guy and uh, all the money was gone. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. Uh, that was all of the savings from the five years of me doing these gyms and selling them. Uh, that's tough. And so, uh, you know, I called him up. I was like, hey, what happened? He was like, well, I know you're skimming. I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, well, that was just my half of the profits. I was like, I, I haven't taken anything out. Yeah. I was like, there, there's, there's stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and I had pre-sold like 370 people into this new location, which is a monster launch for a micro gym. Mm-hmm. And, but there was no cash to run the business. And so, um, and I had all these contracts I had to deliver on. And so at this point, I'd sold my five. I have this one in Virginia. And I just like, I was like, what do I do? And this point is when, you know, my wife at the time was just my girlfriend. And um, she was like, you know, we should probably keep doing that other gym thing where you just like fly out, launch the gym and move on because that mm-hmm. was working. <laughs> yeah. And this guy's trouble. And so um, I lost all the money. And then I had... I think I had like twenty five or thirty thousand dollars just not in that account, and um, I funded all the payroll, and I didn't sell any new customers because I didn't want to own a gym and run it because I, I was like, I'm already done with that season mm-hmm. of my life, and so I just watched my personal savings just dwindle, <laughs> um, and then I was able to shut it down in six weeks, and I, I paid every refund that I needed to uh, to basically start over again. And at this point, we go to my girlfriend's Mm -hmm. parents' house uh, for Christmas to meet them because I was this guy from the internet (laughs) that was killing it. And uh, I told her to quit her job to join me to do this gym launch thing. Mm. 
And of course, now we have no money and I have no place. And so I'm, I'm staying in, in her, her bedroom and I'm working in their grandkids room with like a little chair. And it, so I'm like, I've got my laptop and <laughs> crunched over trying to like do work. But I was like, I can't believe this is my life. Yeah. And so to your point about like the, the parachute of like, I could just be a management consultant. Like, what am I, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. here I am five years later. And I was like, I have nothing to show for this. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is what I think is kind of interesting is that I had nothing on paper to show for it, but I had all the skills that I had developed because over that time period, I'd done 3,000 sales, just yep. like you with the CDs when yep. I was just selling memberships. Um, and so she got six of her friends to quit their jobs as well. Wow. Yeah, to start this thing. Mind you, we hadn't started yet. Wow. And it was going to start with all this money that I didn't have because it just got taken. And so uh, is now Christmas. Uh, so we have this one more launch I was going to do that I lined up and we needed to crush this launch. And uh, by chance, again, child of luck. <laughs> I am born born of luck. Uh, a guy reached out to me that he'd seen me speak something like two years earlier and was like, hey, do you have any sales jobs? And I was like, well, actually, kind of, maybe. Where are you? And he was like, San Diego. And I was like, that's actually where the gym is mm. that I'm trying. He had no idea. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, where in San Diego? He was 10 minutes from the gym <laughs> that I needed to do this launch at. And I was like, you know, if I could get this month back, I could get all this other stuff ready. And so we launched the gym. The guy crushed it. Did 100,000 in sales Amazing. in the first month. And I was like, okay, I'm scot-free. And, uh, but all, but I saw the credit cards went through, we were stacking the contracts, but I was looking at the bank account and like, nothing was happening. I was like, what's hap- What's going on here? And I knew Tuesdays, if anybody's a small business owner, like, you know what days you hit, you get deposits. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you're like, you know your deposit days. Mm-hmm. And Tuesdays was always my big day because I got all my weekend money and it, would all, it was always drop on Tuesdays. And so Tuesday comes and like nothing happened. And then Wednesday and then Thursday and then Friday. And then I called them up. They're like, oh, it's a standard reviewer account. We do it every year. It's like, I've been with you guys five years. I've never had a review. Mm. Okay. You know, Monday, t- next Tuesday hits, nothing. I was like, okay, what's going on here? And so uh, I called two more times. They didn't give me the time of day. And then finally, it was Christmas Eve. And I got on the phone with their support. I said, I will not get off this phone until you send me money. Yeah. Like you have, you have a hundred grand. I need the money. Yeah. Because all of her friends were starting on the 26th, two days later. And the long story short of this is they said, um, it's been a regular activity. You're selling, you know, you're, you're processing credit cards in different areas. And this is supposed to be for a local gym because I didn't know that you had to switch payment processors if you had a new business. So I'm running all this revenue through one location, mm-hmm. like a, a location that was meant for a gym, which made no sense. Yeah. yeah. And so the, rightfully so, they were like, this is suspicious. Mm, we're going okay, to okay. stop it. And so they held all the funds. And so I didn't get the money. Yeah. And so I had at this point exactly $23,000 left in everything. I'm, tr- I'm tr- rough. I just remember each of the, the mm-hmm. moments. $23,000 left. I owed him 22000 in commissions for sales that I never got. Yeah. And so I didn't want to like give myself a chance to think about it. And so I wired him twenty two, and I had $1,000 left. It was, it was December 20, 20th uh, or twenty whatever day it was, 2016. Yeah. So if everybody's like, see what we're doing now, like that was 2016 <laughs> December, mm-hmm. um, $1,000. And so I still had my credit card from all my gyms. Now, even though I didn't have them anymore, I still had the card and the Amex hadn't changed my limit yet. And so I had $100,000 limit on my card. And so two days later, I pushed the ads live for six sales guys to be launching six different gyms and areas. I didn't have a way to process money, but I had a way to spend money. <laughs> it's a terrible combination. <laughs> and so I'm spending $3,300 a day. 3300 A day. Wow. I had 1000 total. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so by lunch, I had, you know, I was, I was now broke. And yeah. by dinner, I was 2000 in debt. Yeah. Um, 
And that was rental cars, airfare, hotel rooms, uh, commissions, ad spend, everything uh, for six guys. And the, I, to be fair, I did not treat these guys well from a, like they were staying at, at the cheapest motel. I was like, just <laughs> deal with it, you know, get, get McDonald's, I don't care. And so at the end of the month, I had all these contracts and I still couldn't run the money. I called everything, everyone I could. And finally, I got, I got a high-risk processor. So if you don't know what that is, like when you go to Chipotle, they have a normal bank that processes their money. Mm-hmm. But if you if you uh, if you if you see like online gambling and like porn and casinos and stuff, like they go to high risk processors who pay way higher fees and they have all these crazy terms. And so I got one that said, "Sure, we'll process for you, but we get ten percent of all revenue." Oh, boy, yeah, that was the fee. Boy. And at this point, I was so desperate, I was like, "Fine, just take it." Like I, mm-hmm. I just need to process money. And so I got a fifty thousand dollar limit, mind you, I'm spending thirty three hundred a day. If you add it up, that does not work. Mm-hmm. So I do fifty thousand on the last day of January. And uh, the the guy who set it up was like, "Hey, good news is it's it's fifty k a month, so it starts per calendar month. So on the first of February, you can run another fifty. Okay. So I did fifty and then fifty, and that hundred grand covered my credit card bill, mm-hmm. to like to the dollar. <laughs> and so for everyone who tra- who's tracking at home, I'm still broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so then I got two more online for fifty and fifty, and then like you know, and then I, they bumped my limit on the other one, whatever. And so uh, that next month we did two hundred something thousand in sales, uh, and I made like thirty thousand dollars in profit. And okay. I was like, oh, I'm home free. But then the next month, <laughs> the next month, uh, the gyms that we launched, the six gyms that we launched in January, and then we launched another six in, in February. Uh, I Layla taps me on the shoulder because I'm thinking I'm I'm like entrepreneurial genie. I'm like, I'm a Phoenix baby. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I come back. And, uh, and so she taps me on the shoulder and I'm like, what, what is this? My love, my queen, <laughs> you know? And, uh, she just spins her laptop towards me and she's like, look at this. And I was like, what am I looking at? And it was our bank account. And it was all these negative transactions. And each one of them was as big as, as, as the rent that we now were able to afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine, it was like a thousand bucks. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just seeing like 500, 500, 500, 500, 300, 500, like all mm-hmm. the way down. And she just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I was like, what is going on? And she said, hey, well, you know, those gyms that we were selling the memberships at, I have, I have a cell phone for all of them to call me for support issues, whatever. And all these people are saying that uh, this gym owner stood up on a chair because we had sold too many people into his gym and he just told them all to refund. And he said, just, just refund, go oh. home. I don't want to deal with this because it wasn't, it wasn't their money. You know what I mean? Like the deal was we would collect the cash. They would just service the customers and they got the back end. Mm-hmm. But some guys, like when you have a 70 person gym and you take it to 270 in 30 days, they don't, they can't, they can't handle that. Too you many just, people. Yeah. You just yeah. triple, quadruple their gym. Mm-hmm. And so, Again, I was an inexperienced entrepreneur. I didn't know that. And so I was like, just deal with it. You have all these customers, but they didn't, they didn't collect any revenue. So like it was just incurring costs for them to do this. I, I understand a little bit more mm-hmm. now. Um, but then, and that was like $50,000. And I was like, oh. and then, uh, <laughs> and then two days later, another wave hit. And it was a different situation where the guy saw that we had made $40,000, $50,000 from his gym. And the average gym owner for perspective takes home $36,000 a year. So mm-hmm. when you see that CrossFit down the street, they're not killing it. They're probably mm-hmm. getting killed. Um, he saw us, some, you know, some kids from the internet take out 50 grand from this place in a month. And he didn't mm-hmm. make that last year. And so he was like, hey, everybody just signed up with them. Refund through them. And I'll let you do it through me for half the price. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so now, and mind you, I had already had all these processing issues. So I'm freaking, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to lose processing yeah. again. And I will tell you this, when you don't have the ability to process money, it is very hard to do business because like I couldn't sell my way out of not being able to process money. There's nothing I could do. Mm -hmm. And so I now have to somehow, and it ended up being $150,000 in total. Um, 
was like, I have to come up with 150 grand in 30 days in profit. In profit. And this is after just going yeah, through. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. After the after losing it all from the, the theft thing and then after losing it all again from the processing thing. And then now we're doing it again. So so here I am and I have to figure out how to make 150 grand in 30 days. And so I'm just like staring at the screen and I just try, I try to like brainstorm. I was like, okay, what if we sold everybody supplements? What if we, you know, I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. thinking. And so uh, Layla, we're sitting, you know, I got up earlier. I wasn't really getting up. I really couldn't sleep. But uh, she gets up, uh, you know, the next morning or two mornings later and uh, and she starts working on her laptop. And she had this little side business of personal training clients that she was doing online. She had transitioned. She was a personal trainer before. And so all of a sudden, I like started interrogating. I was like, wait, how much money do you make from that? She's like, I don't know, like four grand a month. And she's getting defensive. She's like, she's like, hey, it pays for the rent and our food. You know what I mean? Like your big entrepreneur ideas, like you just make a lot and then lose a lot. Like ours pays money, you know, like, eat puts food on the table yeah i was like no no no. um but i was like but how much time does it take you she's like i don't know two hours a week and i was like you make four thousand i was like that's not a bad gig and and that's it there's no other cost she's like no i was like i got it so what if i start running ads and we'll just sell direct to consumer we already know how to this whole gym thing hasn't worked out like let's just sell weight loss and so she was like is this really what we're gonna do and i was like yeah let's do it and so i built a the best sales letter of my entire life started running ads to it and she starts taking phone calls and we start doing a thousand bucks a day and it's all pro, you know profit it was, it was digital products mm-hmm. okay well that this is kind of working now if i have my at this point we had eight sales guys because i had to start out selling the refunds to cover the refunds yeah it was terrible and did you still have her six friends working for you at yeah. this time okay yeah, and we added two more okay um and so she, she starts doing a thousand bucks a day and i was like wait if we get the eight guys they could each do a thousand a day. It's eight thousand a day with basically no cost. I was like, that could, that's two forty minus commissions. I was like, we could, we could, we could, we we might could get out of this. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, how how were you? Just to clarify, how were you doing the the one k a day? Yeah, so we we're running ads to a sales page that okay. was like, hey, we're doing a sixteen week transformation. It was called Got Queen it. Transformation. I made it her brand because Layla lost hundred pounds, so I had all these pictures, like had this whole story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so just we went from there to uh, to just uh, uh, scheduling, Got a it. scheduling link, and then a group. And so, so she would Facebook post. ads. Yep, That's Facebook okay. ads, Got and then she would post content in a group, and anybody who commented, she would try and get on a call with, just like just normal, you know, mm-hmm. online hustling. And um, so, anyways. Uh, that that was the plan. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'm going to call the gyms up that are supposed to launch next month um, and let them know that we're not going to be flying out. And so I'll call the first guy up and I tell him the whole story. I was like, hey, we're not doing it anymore, blah, blah, blah. And he said, dude, you launched my buddy's gym and you crushed it for him. Like, I know you can do this and I need this. I just I just maxed out all my credit cards. I refinanced my house for this gym. Like, I really need, like, I, I just need customers, man. Mm-hmm. And honestly, at this point in my life, I was at such a low point that I was like, I, I don't have a lot of empathy right now. <laughs> my, my empathy tank was low. Yeah. Um, and so, but anyways, what ended up coming out was I was like, listen, man, um, I can't do it. But he said, can you just show me how to do it instead if you can't fly out here? And I was like, well, I'll show you. But if you can't close, I'm like, I'm not flying out there. He said, no, it's fine. And so he's like, well, how much? And so I said, the highest number I could think of at the time because I wanted him to say no because that thing was working. I just wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So I said $6,000. And he's like, 6K? I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, done. And I I remember just just staring at the phone and then like, pu- you know, c- pushing my jaw back into my, I was like, oh, uh, what car do you want to use? Uh, how, start with a four. You know, like I start going through that. And I wrote it down on like some napkin. And, I, and then Layla comes back in 15 minutes later. Try, she's like, I just got another one for 500 bucks, whatever mm-hmm. we were selling the thing for. And I was like, I just sold our whole th- way of opening gyms for $6,000. She was like, what? 
I thought we were doing weight loss. I was like, yeah, I know. I, I just, maybe, maybe gyms is the right thing. We're just doing it wrong. Mm. And so I was like, well, I'm going to. So, gonna, so you, you sold him the blueprint. Yeah. Got basically it. all the ads, all the landing pages, okay. the scripts, the show, because I'd already built all that stuff internally for yes. my team. So like everything was done. The only thing that wasn't done was how to run the ads. But like I had a training for the gym owners so that they could like process the people and like give them nutrition. I had whole plans that were all white labeled. I, you know, everything was done. I, I just didn't have the ads part. So I just basically filmed an ad training on how I ran the ads and I'd let them use videos of me because I knew those videos converted the best in every market. And so, uh, I, I get, you know, the guy was like, when do I get it? And I was like, uh, Monday. And it was a Friday. So mm -hmm. I had to like put all this stuff together. And so I'm telling Layla between lunch and like between mouthfuls and, uh, that next Monday or sorry, over the weekend, I, I told, I told her, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to call these other guys up. And so that Friday I finished calling, uh, the seven, seven more guys and, uh, did $60,000 in sales that day. 16, 60, 60. Yeah. In wow. one day. And that was the day my life changed. Wow. And so that was when I was like, it's like <laughs> this, like, this is working. Mm -hmm. And I saw that I could get the 150,000 that I needed to just cover the bill on the refunds. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, well, what's the plan now? I was like, well, we did 30 launches. I was like, I'll just call all those guys up too. So I called all those guys up over the next, you know, week or so. Um, and we ended up doing like, I want to say high 200,000 in sales, but of this 100% margin, product. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then from there, each one of those guys that used our whole blueprint, because they were now making the money instead of me, and they didn't have all the costs I did, I had to fly somebody out there at hotels, all this, like, they didn't yeah. have any of that. They just like, ran the ads, and then they'd make money. And the average gym uh, collected over $30,000 in new cash in the first 30 days. Wow. I mean, that's how I did it, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I was able to fund all these launches. So like it worked. And uh, so they would get a 30 to one return on advertising up front before the back end. That's massive. That's how I opened all the gyms for free. Mm. And so these guys, like, they loved me. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to know how to, like, make friends in business, make people money. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, what else you got? And I was like, oh, uh, well, I have this three-year uh, thing that's a uh, licensing, which shows you everything else about how to run a gym, not just getting clients in the door, but, like, how I structure semi-privates, how I do high-ticket stuff, how I, you know, run the class more efficiently. Like, my whole model, mm -hmm. not just the front end. Um, and that's when the word of mouth just went nuts. And what year was this? This is 2016. Seven, so December 17. 16 is when I lost everything for Got the it. second time. Okay. <laughs> um, and this is now like, uh, April, April ish of 2017. So this, all of this happens in like four or five months. Mm. Um, Mind you, the period where I just went to go see Layla's parents, my mother had just got admitted to the hospital and I had gotten in a DUI head on collision also in that same time period. Oh, wow. Rough spot. But here, here we are, um, you know, Aprilish, and uh, and then it just it just took off like a like a like a rocket. We you know we did four four eighty the next month, then seven eighty, then a million, then one two, then one five, then one eight, then two, then two two, then two four, and we kept going per month. Doing, yeah, per wow. month. Um, yeah, and so the first full calendar year, we did twenty six million top lines, seventeen million in take home, and I had been looking at bankruptcy lawyers eighteen <laughs> months earlier. Wow, and that like eighteen months before that. And this is, and this is <laughs> selling, wild. and this is selling the blueprint yeah. to how to run a gym yeah. from start to finish. Yeah. We turned into basically, it was basically just a licensing program. Yeah. So we just licensed all, because what we would do is we would test out ads in every market. And so I'd spend like 50 grand testing ads in you know, 10 or 20 representative markets, find the winners. And we already had the backend system down. Mm -hmm. So 
we would basically just license these winning ads because one of the most expensive things in, when you're running a local business is ads that don't work. Yes. And so if every one of them is just like a home run ad, then you just print. And mm-hmm. the, we already had the money printing system. We just need to make sure that they had leads. And so um, that's what we did. And so it was incredibly high margin. Um, I mean, <laughs> very high margin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, and then, and that was, that was when you talk about like, what was the, what was the, you know, the, the big clicking point, you know, getting my first gyms, to start working, I made some money, mm-hmm. uh, and then I went up into a higher leverage business, you know, vehicle, which you know, licensing and media just has higher margins than brick and mortar stores. Not that there's anything wrong with brick and mortar stores because you get really good returns on capital there. Like we're we're heavily invested in chains, pers- like because I like brick and mortar. I just mm-hmm. I love the the model. But um, but when, when we did this, it uh, yeah, it took off, and then you know, the next year we grew more, and, and we started a supplement line, and that did like twenty its first year. Um, because we sold through this di- distribution base of gyms because I had a supplement selling system because mm-hmm. I knew how to sell supplements in gyms because I did it. And so um, it was just, you know, when I had that rock bottom moment, or which one? <laughs> uh, when I had the moment where I was like, I just lost everything, I hadn't lost the skills and the education that I had learned in that process. Yes. And so that was the thing that was valuable. And so that was a really good perspective shift for like, and I, I should have known better because, you know, my, my father's Iranian. And so he fled during the revolution. Um, and he was always big on education, which most of our grandparents are. Um, and he, he always said this to me and I, I still, I still take it with me was he said, education is the only thing that no one can tax you out of. You can't lose in a divorce and the government can't take it from you. Mm. And, um, because we had had everything obviously confiscated because that's how the revolution works, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're like, that's not your house. That's our house. Mm-hmm. That's not your money. That's our money. Um, and so he had nothing, you know what I mean, when he came here. And so, but he was a doctor. Yes. And so he was able to start anew in the U.S. without being able to speak English. Um, again, that kind of empathy thing of, you know, I think what my dad was able to do in the U.S. coming much later in life, you know, not even being able to speak the language. Um, and then, you know, becoming a doctor and he started his own private practice in some ways is more impressive than, you know, what we've been able to accomplish because we got that head start. And mm-hmm. so, uh, again, child of luck. But that... uh that was that was the that was the gym watch story. Um, wow, <laughs> wow that that's a that's an incredibly that's an incredibly powerful story because there are so many there are so many lessons in there, and I think something that's so important about that and you you kind of touched on it is that if you go through this kind of process and ups and downs, you develop both a skill set and a mentality that you simply cannot shortcut your way through. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's interesting because you were you were forced to innovate many, many <laughs> times. Right. Like if, if it were not for these, it sucks that these financial yeah. situations have like that sucks, man. Like I, I can't even imagine that. Like I've taken some L's before, but like that completely sucks to be going from doing well to being broke to doing well to being broke again. Right. And then you've got this pressure and, you know, OK, I need to come up like yeah. I mean, talk about pressure. Okay, I need to come up with 150 grand in the next 30 days. Profit. Anyone yeah. listening, imagine putting yeah. yourself in that situation. You've got 30 days to make 100. Like, your mind is going to yeah. be, like, spinning. Like, every single tactic, angle, skill set you have, it's like, all right, I need to find a way to make this happen. And, yeah. you, and you made it happen. Yeah. And without that type of pressure, I don't know. Like, the, the pressure forces the innovation. So as much as it sucks... Um, it's, it's powerful. And with everything that you go on and do now and in the future, you've got that. It can't be taken away. It can't be taken from you. I mean, if you see some of the ways that 
you know what I mean? Like I love to see people have success in, in anything now, right? But now in this age of the internet, we do live in a time where there are some there there are some kind of quick and easy ways to make a lot of money that yes, they require you pulling the trigger and being proactive, but there's also some luck in there, right? You 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 throw a thousand dollars into some meme crypto coin, right? <laughs> and it blows up. And you've turned your thousand into a couple million and you sell and awesome, you've made a few million. The problem with that is you didn't really learn anything, right? So if you were to lose that money and go back to where you were, if you've you've built up a business or you've got a skill set, you're a doctor or you're whatever it is, you know you can build back up from zero. But in those type of situations, you're you're a little bit screwed because you never, you didn't put in that time and effort and develop those skills. And you know, maybe you can get lucky again and you might find the next one that's going to do a thousand X or a 10,000 X, but maybe you can't, you know? Um, so I think that's incredibly powerful. What I do want to ask you is from a mental perspective and also from a relationship perspective, because there's a lot of people here. Um, I do want to talk about how you, how you met your wife and everything like that, but managing all these relationships, both professionally and personally, and then dealing with your own stuff mentally, What was that actually like to go through? Because it's cool to hear the story, but... (laughs) Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I mean, what was even going on in your mind? What was that pressure like? Um, it was, it was tough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Um, I mean, it was tough enough that, you know, I, I, I was drinking like a half a bottle of Johnny Walker black every night, um, during most of that early gym when we were doing the turnarounds. Um, and the thing is, is, uh, and I, and I, I feel like I can say this pretty confidently. Like I wasn't an alcoholic, um, and it didn't affect my performance in terms of like, I still showed up and I still sold every day and it was, it was what it was. Mm. Um, but I drank to basically like decrease the noise in my head because I felt so much pressure. It was like, I felt like I could take my first breath of the day after I had like a massive, you know, mm. half a bottle of that stuff. Um, and that obviously, you know, the pressure eventually led to, you know, me, you know, getting the, the collision, um, driving back from a, a family event, ironically. Um, and what was interesting for me, and that mind you, that's not when I like, I didn't, I didn't stop drinking after that. Um, because again, like I still felt honestly that it wasn't really an issue. Um, but I had a, a, a coach, like a performance coach at the time. And after I got, I walked away from the accident. If you saw pictures of it, it was 60 miles an hour and I walked mm-hmm. away head on collision. Um, and he was like, Alex, your stress is going to kill you. Mm. He's like, and you now see this. And his big thing was um, basically like conversations unsaid, which is like you have all this attention that's spread between these things because you aren't willing to look at them. Like you just, you avoid these things, you avoid these hard conversations. And so at this time, I was so spread thin. Um, I actually asked Layla to just go away basically for a month. And so we still talked, but we were like, on a break and she she basically came in one day and was like do you still want to be with me mm. and i was like no you can do whatever you want 
And so she went and launched the gym in Hawaii. We actually need it. And she crushed it. She still has the all-time record from that launch. Um, and at this time I had, I had, I think I had nine businesses. Okay. Cause I was the classic, like shiny object entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so I had partners, I had all this stuff. And I, I had a, I had a dental, a dental agency, oh, okay. a chiropractor agency. I had five locations. I had the sixth, which I was now in spending my days in. And then I had the launch business. Mm. So I, I had like no mental bandwidth whatsoever. And mind you, like, I'm still not really making any money. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like making revenue and just spending it. Again. Like I'm just not doing, I'm not making anything. And so um, the thing that really helped me get through that was after I did get in that DUI and uh, that collision, I think stakes became really clear to me, which was that I didn't die. And if I didn't die, then everything that I looked at was framed through the image of like, will it kill me? And so then all of a sudden, like the next day I called all of these partners and was like, can't do business. And they're like, but you said, and I was like, can't do it. Sorry. Mm. And, um, I, I was usually the breadwinner for, you know, I was the rainmaker for most of the businesses, um, that I was part of. And, uh, I was like, I'll do whatever deal you want. I was like, but I'm not doing it. Mm. And so I exited all of those businesses within the next like 48 hours. What was your role in those businesses? Like the dental and the chiropractor? Marketer. Okay. Yeah. Marketing and sales. That was always my, my game. Um, and so I, I just stepped out of everything. And, uh, and that was when Layla was like, we should do this launch thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's actually working. So that's like concurrently going on. Um, but from a, a pressure perspective, the thing that, I mean, the perspectives that have shaped my life is, have, have since then been all framed around death. Um, and that's been kind of my, my, my single point of absolute truth is that like, I am going to die. And so if I look at things from that perspective, it just helps me get out of the, like the day-to-day expectations management of other people, because I lived the first part of my life, more than half of my life with the, you know, choked by the expectations that I perceived of other people. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that probably the second half of my life, uh, has been just a slow and deliberate process of trying to disengage as many of those as I can so that I can just hear the one voice that matters most, uh, which for me is, is mine, um, and trying to meet that man or the ideal version of myself's expectations. Mm-hmm. So I think about like my 85-year-old self, and I'm like, what does he want me to do? And so I'm like, does he care about what this person thinks? I'm like, he said that that person didn't even show up to your funeral. <laughs> okay, well, if they're not going to be at the funeral, why do I care about what they think today? And so I just, I use that frame a lot. Um, and that's what actually gets me, it allows me to get out of a lot of social, like perceived social constructs and, uh, expectations people want to put on you, mm-hmm. um, or at least that you perceive that they're putting on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can just make decisions that make sense. And so I think that that was my big unlock, uh, from that, that little season. And then that allowed me to kind of, I got all my attention back and then that's when, you know, I had that little breakthrough a few months later and then that was it. When you are 85 years old Mm -hmm. and you're looking back on your life, what do you want that legacy to be? So I would say internally and externally. So internally, it's that I leave no potential unused. Mm. So, you know, I think everybody has an idea of what their potential is. And so I just want no potential Alex left. I want (laughs) all of it actualized. Every every ounce of it squeezed out. Mm. Um, Why? Because I find that meaningful. Okay. Um, I won't get into that, the meaning conversation, (laughs) but for me, I find that meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from an external perspective, the more I've thought about it, like I'm a big believer in what, what Socrates said that ignorance is the only evil. 
just not knowing. So it's like people are mean to one another because they don't understand one another. Mm. Like if they really understood the other person, then they wouldn't. And you've everyone's seen these TV shows where people hate each other. They find out more about one another and all of a sudden they're actually fine with each other. Yeah. And so it's just people lack context. And so I see, you know, the opposite of ignorance is knowledge or education. And so, um, you know, our mission acquisition.com is to make real business education available to everyone. And so that's why we write the books and why we write, make the courses because like that education is what I, what allowed me to lose everything and then still get it back. Mm -hmm. And if you play out different scenarios, like if you accumulate all this wealth and then you pass it on to a generation and they don't have the same education as you, and then you pass it on to more generations, they lose it all because they don't know how it was made. Mm -hmm. And so, um, all of it, like we're here with like cameras and recording items and we're able to do it because other humans who we don't know figured something out and they passed it on. Yeah. So it's very much like Newton's, we, you know, I can see so far because I stand on shoulders of giants. And um, I know that in 5,000 or 5 million years, like my name will definitely be forgotten. But I can still help humanity uh, by having some level of contribution from an educational perspective. And so from an external impact um, education, I think is the greatest legacy because mm. it's the only thing that like, if you, if you have kids and they lose all your money, but they have all your education, they can get it back. Yeah. Um, and then from like a combating evil perspective, if you have complete, if you, ha if everyone had complete understanding of one another and of the world, which only comes through knowledge and education, then we, I think a great amount of evil would be, would be avoided. Yeah. And so, um, that's, that's what I think my 85 year old self, um, I, I see myself, and it, it's, it sucks to say this, because uh, I, I don't know how to say it light in a good way, but <laughs> I really enjoy teaching. Um, and I, I, or rather, if I was to be precise, I enjoy instructing. Mm -hmm. um, as in teaching is organizing the environment to reward or punish for behaviors. I don't do that. But instruct is in like, if these are the things and how I do them that have worked for me, use them if you want. Um, that is something that I, I really deeply enjoy. Like right before I came here, I spent the entire day redrawing, um, images for the next book that's coming out, mm. uh, just so that they're like a little crisper and a little clearer. And there's, there's no thing that I enjoy more in my life. Like if I did only that for the rest of my life, like I'd be stoked. Um, and so that's, that's like my, that's what I, that's what I love most. And I think if my 85 year old self saw me do that for the highest percentage of my life possible, you'd be pretty happy to. That's awesome, man. That's powerful. I think something really interesting about the time we're living in is there's something you said there, which brought a thought to mind, which is you said in 5,000 years or whatever, yeah. you know, people aren't going to, people aren't going to know your name. Yeah. That might not be the case. I think, you know, something that's so interesting, and I don't think anyone really, most people don't think about this or, or, or talk about it, which is that we actually, due to technology, we now live in the first ever time in human history where the things that you create and put out there beyond, say, a written manuscript can exist forever and be accessed by everybody all over the world, right? This podcast we are recording right now, this conversation, and there's no, in 5,000 years, people can come back and not just listen to the conversation, they can watch us. All the videos you put out on YouTube, yeah. all the clips, all the long form stuff, that was never, ever true. I mean, if you go back, I, I don't know exactly what your um, photography, let alone videography yeah. was invented, but I mean, we don't know exactly what all these historical figures look mm. like, right? Because there was no photography. Right. There were definitely no video cameras. Yeah. We, we can't hear their voices. There's no recordings of them. I mean, maybe the earliest you can go back is to maybe when was photography invented? I don't know, late, eight, late, <laughs> yeah, eight, no, late 1800s, yeah. early 1900s, something yeah. like that, right? But it's only been, let's say, 150 or yeah. so years 
where you could even see an image of someone. Before that, it's statues, it's paintings. We've got yeah, yeah we've got an idea of what these people look like, yeah. but we can't go, oh, let's let's watch a video of this guy. And I think it's actually so fascinating that we now live in a time where everything we are now creating, our great, 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 great grandchildren can go and be, oh, I wonder, I don't know what my, I don't, I don't even know what my great, great, great grandfather looked like, right? Yeah. But they can go back and be like, oh, okay, this is how, this, this is him. This is his video. These are his videos. This is voices. Yeah. We, we've got Here's like all- TikTok reels. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think that's actually, it's kind of scary in a way. It's a yeah. little bit scary in a way. But I think that's that's incredibly powerful because we've already got this stack of human knowledge, but I think it's it's just going to be exponential now. All of this, all these videos people are putting out, all their all their tweets, all their posts, all that, everything. I'm like, it's kind of scary that it's going to live on forever. So, you know, be careful of what yeah. you post, but but it is going to. And I do wonder how that's going to sort of bear out for for humanity, because I often say that in this modern era, we only have two advantages. Um, you know, human human nature hasn't fundamentally changed over the centuries. The two advantages we have over our ancestors is we have better technology and we have access to the past. That's it. Really. We're not, you know, we're, we're the same human beings as people were 500 years ago. That's kind of all we've got. So if we choose to use that to our advantage rather than to our destruction, then I think that's how we move forward. Right now we seem to be uh, doing 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 a little bit of both. But human nature doesn't change. That's why you can go back and read a book written 2000 years ago and the life lessons are as applicable today, whether you're reading uh, the Bible or you're reading Marcus Aurelius. It's like, oh, it sounds like this could have been written last week because it, yeah. it doesn't change. It's the same lessons. Humans have, we have the same flaws. We're prone to the same, you know, silly thinking, same cognitive problems. We have the same survival needs. We, we need food. You know, we need water. It, it doesn't, it doesn't change. And I think that we think that we're changing and we think that we're so advanced and whatever. And I'm like, no, nah, we've just got better stuff. <laughs> it's kind of it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not, the people in the 1920s were the same. The people in the 1820s were the same. They just didn't have as much history and they didn't have as much stuff. No air conditioning, no Wi-Fi. Basically, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. It is interesting because I, I think a lot about how, um, you know, the, one of the poorest people today live better than, you know, Louis the whatever, mm -hmm. uh, the royalty of a long era ago. Um, that, that always... That always uh, tricks me out. And also that those people are still just as unhappy and happy as the people are today. Um, and so, I mean, none of this is, is new stuff, that more stuff isn't going to satisfy us. Um, and I think that like when we die, or at least for me, like I'll probably be equally satisfied and dissatisfied yeah. as I am today. <laughs> because the thing is, is like I've, I've accomplished things that I said would make me happy years ago. So yeah. I already know that that's a false, you know, false premise. And so... Um, I, I have, um, and anyway, going on a tangent here, but, um, I've just, I had this, I had this mentor early on and, uh, I had a, a particularly good weekend and, you know, saw some people I liked, did stuff that I was, that was fun for me. And I came in just like kind of a little bit upbeat and, uh, I told her that and she said, you know, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the secret to, to living a good life is, is putting as many of those days in a row as you can. Mm. And it was, uh, it was actually like a really, it was, it was, it, it operationalized, uh, joy for me. It was like, okay, doing things that I like with people that I like as many times in a row Sorry, as I can. I, I've never heard someone say operationalized joy. Yeah. I was like, this man's a true entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just because like a lot of it's like these, these amorphous words and we're like, yeah. what do they mean? It's like, well, how do I, how do I make that real? Mm. Um, and so for me, that was that. And so that's, that's what I spent a lot of time on. And even today, uh, cause we get a lot of time, I'm sure you get lots of people pulling on your time, course, right? Yeah. And um, 
one of our one of our teammates, our director of people, um, made a presentation on how it takes about eighty hours to make a friend, like oh, a true friend. Okay, and that was actually really profound for me in a different way, more so because now I just think to myself, if I'm about to take a lunch with someone, <laughs> am I going to spend eighty hours with them? If the answer is no, it's giving me an easier way to say no. Mm. Just like I don't think I'm going to spend eighty hours with this person. Okay, I'd rather I'd rather spend it with friends. Not to say that I'd never take, you know, new meetings, but yeah. it's, it's given me a nice lens to say no, uh, which I try and do as much as I can. <laughs> you've, uh, you've mentioned your wife yeah. or you know, previous girlfriend, now wife yeah, yeah. multiple times throughout this podcast. Uh, I'd like to learn more. Yeah. How did you guys meet? So we met on Bumble, uh, which okay. is the dating app. Uh, it was the best one then. So I don't know. What, I don't know what the kids are doing these days. But it was. It was where all the best want, talent. You, you was. don't want to know what the kids are doing. These yeah, days. I don't want to know. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was where all the talent was. And so, anyways, uh, we. we <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. So I, I, I called her up because I quickly, for me, my game plan was always like get the phone number as fast as I could so that I could get off the app. Um, and so I called her up and uh, set a frozen yogurt date uh, because I said, Hey, it's low commitment, right? If, you know, if we don't like each other, we can dip in 10 minutes. Um, and, uh, she tried to cancel on me the day before the date. And so I called her up and I was like, you're not canceling. <laughs> uh, I just said, no, I just refused her request to cancel. Uh, and so she ended up, you know, she showed up, uh, for the frozen yogurt thing. And, uh, we immediately just started talking about business. Uh, and that was like, awesome because I never, it was all I, it was all I cared about was business. Yeah. And so I felt like all my other dates, I always had to like pretend to be interested in what they were <laughs> interested in. And so this date, I just got to talk about stuff I was interested in. And she was interested in that stuff too. And so we spent like four hours on our first date only talking about business. Mm. And at the end of the date, I said, Hey, uh, I don't know if this is going to work out, but you should totally work for me. And so <laughs> I, uh, I offered her a job. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to call it gym launch. I'm like, go around. It was right at the time. I was like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go around the country and launch these gyms. And so she said, no, I literally just met you. Like I'm not, I had, she had a whole book of business as a personal trainer. And so, uh, but anyways, the, you know, I went and I did my first launches and I came back and I hadn't processed any of the money. Cause I was, I, don't know, I'm, I can, I can do the talking thing. So I got, mm-hmm. I, I did that, got all the credit cards, got them on the sign and then I'd have the next person. So I hadn't processed any of it. And so she picked me up from the airport like a month or month or so later. And we'd spoken every night and I would always, I was like, I went 21 for 23 today. I went 18 for 18 for, for 21, you know, like whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said, you need to take me on a date because you promised you're going to take me somewhere that wasn't Chipotle, Panda Express or, and I was like, we're eating together. What else is there? And so anyways, I said, yes. I said, can you do one favor for me first? And she's like, what? Uh, I was like, I just need you to help me process these contracts. And so I got back <laughs> and I had this fat stack of contracts. And so I taught her how to process them. In like an hour, we processed like a hundred and something thousand dollars. And she, I mean, she can do math. She looked at it and she was like, what is this? And I was like, this is the thing I was telling you about. And then she just, she's like, is it legal? That was her first question. <laughs> is, like, is it legal? And I was like, yeah. She's like, all right, I'm in. That's so funny. And so she quit her job. And uh, so when we started, so I only did the first two or three launches on my own. And then Layla came with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, so anytime there was a launch or it was just one, it would just be, it would be both of us. And if we had two, she would fly to that one and we'd talk every night. Um, and that was, that was, that was basically our early days. So we went from like, we just met to traveling the nation, living out of the one room motel room mm-hmm. together within like six weeks. 
Uh, and <laughs> so you can imagine this. So this is a little bit of the context of when I went back to see your family. Yeah. They're like, so this is the guy that you met on the internet and then six weeks later <laughs> dropped everything for <laughs> and are sleeping in a motel room, Middle Eastern father. Hers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So huge fan of mine, right? Uh, and, right. When I came back, I had no money either. So I had lost everything too. But like when she met me, I was a successful five location gym owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... <laughs> But anyways, we, we started doing this and that's when that it was, I mean, we met in April of 16. Okay. And so if you remember the, the chronology there, uh, we met in April 16, I did the first launches, then we did launches together. I opened that sixth location with that guy in August, um, which I crushed that launch at 370 plus sales. Uh, and then he, uh, so then, then I sold the gyms, uh, and then I put all the money into that account. Then he emptied the money from that account. Uh, and then I got my DUI and then <laughs> I got my DUI. My mom went to the hospital and then we, uh, lost, I, I, had to, I had to close that gym down, drained my bank account for the most part, then had the processing issue, then launched all the gyms and then had the chargeback and refund issue with them doing everything. And then it started to work. And so that was the first 12 months of our relationship. Wow. And so uh, after it's like things, quote, turned around, which was like May, (laughs) two (laughs) months later, uh, things were, but like what's crazy though is that like two months after that, we were taking home like, I mean, we we took home like $300,000 in personal income, like Mm -hmm. two months after that. So Mm -hmm. I honestly, I remember, I remember looking at her the month after that when I had $100,000 saved up after having nothing again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, that was like one of the most significant moments in my personal life because up to that point even with the gyms i always left the money in the in the business account so it never felt like it was mine it was always like yeah it's gonna be for the next location or whatever and this was the first time i had a hundred thousand dollars in my personal account and i remember like being in the kitchen with her and like pulling it up and like getting really choked up because i couldn't even like say it because it had been such a goal for such a long time i mean mind you like for everyone's listening it was six years you know what i mean or five whatever it was five or six years and um it was it was it was tough five or six years and um I like she came over and she like dropped everything while she was cooking and then she just like gave me a hug and I just like wilted um, in her hands because it felt like uh, like we had made it and I, I still to this day don't think I've ever felt as rich as I did in that moment because and I think I think about it a lot because the relative change in income mm-hmm. was like a hundred x you know what I mean I went yeah. from a thousand to a hundred that like I don't think I'll ever have a hundred x change in personal like ever again mm-hmm. and I remember like after I could like I caught my breath or whatever I uh, I was like. We can screw up, there we go, for the next three years and we'll be okay. Yeah. Because for me, I, we were living together on 30000 a year, mm-hmm. both of us. And so I knew that, I was like, we're good, we're good. And then obviously the next month we made more and more. But like that moment, of, it, that was, I felt like I could exhale finally. Um, and then that, that uh, I proposed to her two months later mm-hmm. and my proposition was in the same style of... Uh, <laughs> I, I walked in one day, our employees were worried because we were dating and running this business that was growing really fast. Mm. And they were like, what happens if you guys break up? And, uh, I was like, it's a good point. I understand their, their, their concerns. And so I just went to Layla and I said, uh, I have to handle something. (laughs) Um, we're going to take a detour in the story. Uh, I had had a fiance before this Mm. and we had kind of left things like open loop, you know what I mean? Like maybe in the future. And so I was like, I need to like close this loop. And so I said, I'm going to go fly back to see my fiance and kind of close things off. She took that as us breaking up. 
Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> so she flew back home. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we came back, you know, two days later together, and in, in, we were at that point in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, I came in with flowers, and I was like, these are for you. And she was like, okay. I was like, so I've been thinking, uh, what do you— I think it would make sense. I think the exact words I said is, I think it would make sense if we got married. <laughs> Fellas listening, <laughs> this is the line right there from Alex. <laughs> I, I didn't have a ring. I didn't do the one knee, one knee down thing. Um, I will say I probably surprised her. Um, and so, yeah, I handed her the flowers and said, I think it would make sense if we got married. And then she like looked at me and I was like, well, what do you think? And, uh, and she was like, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess so. And I was like, okay, well then I guess we need to go get you a ring. And so I was like, well, there's a jewelry store around the corner. I was like, you want to go there? And so we got in the car, went to the jewelry store. We looked at a bunch and she was like, I like that one. I was like, I like that one too. And so we bought it in 10 minutes and then, uh, went back to the apartment and I was like, I guess we have to do the church thing. And so I called up the church and the pastor was like, uh, are you sure, son? Like this is, I was like, are you free Wednesday? And he was like, yeah, it was six days from that point. Yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah, no, that's fine. And so uh, we worked and we worked that day, that Wednesday. And then after work, we went to the church. We got married with no one, no family. Wow. Um, didn't tell anybody because oh. we, we thought our parents would disagree with it because they'd say, you guys are moving too fast. You're being so irrational, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, but we were both like, we're doing this for us. It's not about them. And so... We got married. We showed up to work the next day. Told the staff, "We're like, hey, you're good. All your concerns have been have been uh, accounted for. We are married, so you don't have to worry about that anymore." And they were like, "What?" Uh, and so th that was it. And so we got engaged and married in six days, and then uh, been rocking and rolling since. Wow, that's 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 a heck of a story right there. I do have to ask, what was the response when you uh, eventually told your respective parents? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my, uh, my, yeah, they weren't pumped about it. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. My, my dad was not happy about it. Um, so this is another random story, but, uh, we, I went back home, uh, for something and my dad threw a surprise wedding kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah. It wasn't a wedding though. Cause there was no vows or dresses or anything. And so it was just like a dinner. So it's kind of like a surprise reception. Okay. But it was only his friends. Okay. So it was a bunch of people I didn't know. Ah. Yeah. It was, okay. it was, it was, it was an odd, uh, it was an odd experience. Okay. Um, and so that was my, my dad's taking it. Um, uh, my mom found out over the phone, whatever. And then uh, I do remember her parents. That was the funniest. So uh, we FaceTimed her dad. <laughs> this is so funny. So we FaceTimed her dad and he picks up. He's like, Hey, sweetie. And I'm like, Hey, I'm in, the, you know, in this thing too. And, uh, she was like, I've got an announcement. And so she shows her ring. Right. And they were like, Oh, congratulations. You know? And then, she, and she was like, uh, and we got married and then it was silence. Oh boy. It was, it was, the silence was so long that, um, I stepped in on the phone and it was like, <laughs> Dr. Karosh. I was like, Nobody died. I, that was my first line after the silence was nobody died. There's no funerals. Everyone's okay. Like, it's all good. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, we, we, spent, we spent 13 months together from beginning to end. We've been through a ton and like, it's all good. And um, yeah, that was how both parents found out. And then uh, 
What was, what was interesting though is that we had to go back and uh, spend, we spent like six weeks. Uh, I had, a, I had, I had a, a, a nice place at this point that I was renting out. I had a tenant. And so we had gone to Puerto Rico and then to try and do tax stuff, uh, which didn't work out because four days later, Hurricane Maria hit. If you remember that, it decimated oh, yeah, the entire yes. island. Yeah. So four days after we moved to Puerto Rico, the biggest hurricane in 90 years hit, that destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. And so Layla was like, I don't want to live there. And so we basically were homeless, but now we were making more than her parents' house every week. Um, and so I went back now. It was kind of a cool 360 of like two years earlier. And so now we're staying at her parents' house in the same room. Uh, and we spent, I spent like six weeks with them. And so then, you know, he, her, her dad and I have, have been close since like, yeah. he's, he's great. He, he helps me with my books. Like we're, we're thick as thieves. Awesome. Uh, but that was, so that was the, the they're like, okay, this guy's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just, just showed up from the internet and just, yeah. you know, snatched my daughter. And then, uh, <laughs> but to, to, to piggyback real quickly, uh, Layla is the reason that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all of the success that I've had has been, uh, in part or a hundred percent due to her. Like a lot of the like early days, I, I made my gyms relatively successful, but not super successful. Um, and it was only when I met her because she is like kind of the yin to my yang. Um, she's like got a massive heart. She really is so good at judging people. She's like, she's never been wrong yeah. about like the partner. She was like, I wouldn't do the business with this guy. And I was like, ah, what do you know? I'm the yeah. entrepreneur. And she was right. And um, the amount of times that we've had like actual crooks try and steal money from us uh, and then later get indicted, like true, like actual like criminals. Yeah. And she like, we'll get like halfway through a process. She's like, I don't know. I just something's off. Like mm. it's happened three times in the last like few years. And she just has like an amazing people picker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just, she can build an infrastructure of people around anything. And so I've always been able to like outsell and outmarket any company I had. Um, but until I met Layla, I couldn't do anything about it. Mm. And then she came in and was able to just organize people. And she's been, I mean, it depends on how you define CEO, but like she is the CEO of all the things that we do. Like her title is CEO at acquisition.com. I'm mm-hmm. founder. I'm mm-hmm. just like random guy who shows up on stuff. <laughs> um, but she, like I have one direct report. She has many. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, it's been because of her. Like I couldn't, you know, a lot of people try and pay lip service to like boost their wife up. Like it's not that. And I would just always get the credit because I'm a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Layla's a, a vicious entrepreneur. Um, I mean, she was successful personal trainer. She was making more money, <laughs> uh, you know, before we met. And then, um, and then, yeah, and since then we've, we've fully integrated our lives. Mm-hmm. So we work, we live, we live life together. So mm-hmm. we both wake up and work all day and we work out and we eat dinner. Like we spend all of the, the day pretty much together. And we've been doing that since. And if you think about like marriage stats, it's kind of funny. It takes, I think it's the average couple spends, I think two hours a day together. Mm-hmm. And like 45 minutes of that is watching television. 45 minutes of that is eating. And then there's like 30 actual minutes of like, Time. Wow! Yeah, and it's two hours. That's yeah. U- U- U.S. statistics. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's crazy because it it sounds crazy, but then I think of how most people live their lives, yeah. and people spend what eight to ten hours at work or on the way to it. Yep. And then you know, especially if they've got children in the picture, or whatever. Yeah it it sounds shocking, but actually, if you think about it, it's not yeah. surprising. And so Layla and I, by the math, have been married for fifty years. <laughs> so we spent a long time, a lot of time together, yeah. and um. And it's been, it's been good. That's dope, man. I mean, it's such an unorthodox story, but it's also, <laughs> it's also very beautiful, right? It, it sounds, 
it's extremely romantic whilst being extremely unromantic. <laughs> you know, um, I, so I remember I was engaged before this and um, wonderful woman, wonderful family, everything was awesome. And, you know, being a sensible person, uh, I was talking to her sisters and was like, hey, I'm, I'm planning on proposing. And um, they're like, well, what's your plan? And I was like, well, the plan is we're going to go grocery shopping and then I will just like propose there mm-hmm. because my whole angle was this is what life's going to look like. Mm. Um, not the flowers and the, I was like, this is life. And so mm-hmm. if you want to do this with me, like I'm game. And uh, her sister heard that story and was like, yeah, it's a terrible idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, this is not about you. This is about yeah. her. And you know, she wants all these things. And so I, I did a whole, uh, the, 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 the classic song and dance, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that for me, uh, the way that Layla and I's story has panned out um, is the way I want it to pan out. Because, like, to your point of like, it's maybe romantic. It's maybe it's not romantic for some people, but it's like it's ours. Yeah. And so that's that's my vibe. And well, no, yeah. I, I it's 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 funny because it's it's not ro- it's it's romantic in an unorthodox way. Yeah. But if you think about the things that are, I'm not married yet, but if I think about the things that are genuinely important in a yeah. lot, in a marriage and in a relationship and just that everyday stuff, spending times together, going yeah. through the ups and downs, taking the L's, getting the wins together, yeah. all that, all that stuff. I mean, that is, that's kind of what it is. All this stuff of, you know, f- fancy this and, yeah. you know, the, the just all, all the song and dance, all the, yeah. whole, the whole Disney kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Like people do all that stuff. Yeah. But then I think in the Western society in particular, and not even just Western, honestly, like globally, because of the kind of commercialization of a lot of it, you know, there's so much focus on the wedding, Yeah. but not the marriage. Totally. Just in what I see in many people's relationships, it's all this one day of like pomp and grandeur and spending tens or hundreds of thousands. And then it's like, okay, well, what about what about the rest of it? And people yeah. aren't thinking that. I mean, if you're spending only two hours a day yeah. with a person, I'm like, that explains a lot of the other marriage statistics to me. Yeah. I'm like, two hours, that's that's nothing. And I get that people's lives are structured in such a way, you know, this person's got a day job, that person's yeah. got a day job, and they're apart for so long. But it's, even though that's normal, when you when you really think about it, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. That I- you're spending, what, you spend 10 hours at work or on your way to work in some office, say. <laughs> yeah. And your spouse is also doing the same. You're over there. Yeah. They're over there. They're literally spending more time with your coworkers and with your boss and whatever yeah. than you are with the person you're married to. And then you get home and you're tired. And maybe yeah. you f- and maybe people fight and yeah. they just, <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what I mean? Because they're stressed out from the work. And yeah. I'm like, that's, as an entrepreneur myself, even though, you know, I'm not married, I'm not married yet, but I like to talk to people who are mm-hmm. and learn from them because so much of what I'm doing now and the way I'm trying to position things is to think towards that future of being married and having a family and everything. And I don't want to be a husband and a father who is not, who's not there because I'm forced to be kind of going into something. So I'm like, let me set stuff up now so that I will have that flexibility. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I might have to go on a trip. I might have to travel there or whatever, but I want it to be on my accord. I don't want it to be because you know, I have to do this or I have to do totally. that. And I have to be away from my kids. I have to be away from my wife. I, so I think the way that that's worked out, even though it sounds so, it sounds unorthodox to people, yeah. right? Even the running a business together. A lot of people are told, you know, don't run a business together yeah. with your spouse or whatever. 
Although I've actually heard that that is the opposite of what is correct. I've actually heard that couples who do run businesses together. If you make one dollar well. together in a business, you yeah. have a 90% likelihood of not getting divorced. Is that an actual statistic? Divorce rates among people. <laughs> divorce rates among people who have made a dollar together in business. Wow. Together. together um, is 10%. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. What, what's that from? Do you know, do you know the source of it? It's, uh, it's, it's I, definitely I would, I would love to, I would love to, rep- I want, yeah. I want to, I want this stat. I want, I want yeah. this stat, especially when I'm hearing all these other ones. Yeah, hundred percent. That's powerful. Let, let me ask, because a lot of young men do listen to you. I'm sure you've been asked, you know, that we, we do live in a time and an era and in a place where there's a lot of new challenges for young men and women totally. out there. There's a lot of challenges. A lot of men are, both men and women, I think, are operating from a position of fear mm-hmm. in many cases, right? Literally fear of the opposite sex, but also sure. fear of marriage, fear of commitment, fear of having kids, fear of doing this, fear of doing that, fear of judgment. Um, what do you, what's the best way to, what's the best way to phrase this? For, let's, okay, let, let, let's be specific. For, for a young man who is out there who is looking for a relationship, a wife, someone to spend their life with and to create a, you know, to create their future sure. with. What type of advice would you give to that man, whether he's in his 20s, he's in his 30s, whatever, but he's aware of all the madness going on in the world. He's concerned about this, concerned about that, doesn't really know his position. When it comes to the wife part in particular, yeah. what would you suggest to that man? Because I, I saw you did a post on Twitter about this recently. Mm. So I'd love for you to expand on it. So three things. One is check your stats. And so what I mean by that is if this person came into your life, what happened to your stats? Did you get in better shape or worse shape? Did you start making more money or less money? Is this person trying to trying to take you from the things that you want to do or is it trying to encourage you to do the things that you want to do? Um, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Like they have to, they, all my stats had to go up. Like that coach that I was talking about, I was debating whether I should, you know, stay with, I was at that point, I was just stay with Layla because it was during that break where we were, she was going to come back and he was like, check your stats. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about it, I was like, well, shoot, she's, she's in shape and she works out and she eats well. And so I've been doing better about that. And, you know, uh, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't drink like I drink. So that's probably good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she like, you know, I'm, I'm making more money than I did before. So like all these things, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess my stats have gone up and that was, that was a huge, I was actually, as silly as that sounds, that was like a huge point for me. And then mm. we got, we, we got back together. Um, the second one is, uh, you want somebody, in my opinion, who believes in you, who, who, who believes in your dreams even more than you do. Um, because I'm, I'm a big believer that you should only listen to somebody or take advice from people who have bigger dreams for your life than you do. Mm. And I think most people don't have bigger dreams for you, which just means that for me, like their advice is invalid. And so you want someone who really believes. And I think that Layla always believed. Um, I mean, really when there was, <laughs> when it was definitely faith, <laughs> there was not a lot of evidence, you know what I mean? Like she believed. And um, I think that like in the dark times that you, that you will inevitably have in life, like having someone who believes in you is just, it's just everything. Mm-hmm. It can be everything. Um, the third one um I had it in my head and then I lost it. It was, it was what I, I said in the, in the tweet. I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah. So you've got, you've got check your stats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have someone who oh, believes in you even more yeah. than you do. And, and um, the last one is, uh, you know, so the Bible talks about this and uh, I, I, I wanted to just get any ancient wisdom around, around getting married. And uh, 
right after Layla and I got married, we went through all the divorce stuff so that we could understand why people get divorced. And so we mm. went through all of these marriage retreats that are meant for like crisis marriages. Um, you went, you went to them? You attended we, we went them? through the, no, we went through the, like the materials. Okay, we bought gotcha. the workbooks oh, and okay, watched gotcha, the seminars. Gotcha. Um, and it was super helpful for us. Uh, there was a great one. It, it's a Christian thing, even if you're not faith-based. Um, I'm not, uh, it was called love and respect. And it was basically talking about how like men have different needs than women do. Uh, men need respect. W women tend to need love. And so talking like in those terms was really helpful for us. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, just validated how we had set up our relationship. Um, but the only line in the Bible about picking a mate, not being married, there's tons of stuff on being married, but only one on picking. And it was pick someone you go to war with. Mm. And uh, when I think about that, that was, I thought about it before we, before we did get married. And like, she was somebody who had gone through war with me. You know what I mean? And um, when she went to Hawaii, which is when we did that launch, uh, when we split up, right? Or went on a break, whatever. Mm. When she did that, think about it from her perspective for a second. So she met this guy on the internet. Four weeks later, he flashes some money. She quits her job, which she had a good career. Starts flying around the country. As soon as he starts flying around the country, meets a partner. She disagrees with it, opens up more businesses. I thought I quit to do this thing with you, but now you're doing lots of things. Then says, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And then at that point, when you're living in a motel with this dude who says he doesn't want to be with you, you then fly to Hawaii and still make him money. Mm. And so, like, when my world was crumbling at that point, like, Layla stood tall mm. and she crushed it. Like, she didn't just, like, do okay. She broke and set the record to this day for a single, single launch location. Mm -hmm. And so, like... To me, when she came back and like I, like I had had some space, I'd finished this partnership, you know, I, I'd cleaned up some of my, my personal space. It was like when, when the chips were down and not everyone can be that lucky where you get to like, like see someone go like test, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of like you can say you're loyal, but until you have the opportunity to cheat, you aren't anything. Yes. Like you need evidence to claim the trait. Mm -hmm. And so like Layla's tough as nails. And so when she did that and came back and that was all the money that I needed to like do the <laughs> try yet again and then fail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only temporary. Yeah, right. Oh, for my next temporary success yeah. leading only to failure. Um, that was just like, she was somebody that I would go to war with. And, uh, you know, the last thing that I'll, I'll add to this is again, I want to put the big giant disclaimer here, which is like, this is just what worked for us. Do whatever you want. There are no shoulds live your life. You don't even, you don't have to get married. There's, I, I believe like, I'm not even like pro marriage. I'm just pro my marriage. <laughs> like I see most marriages. I'm like, I wouldn't want that. You know what I mean? So I, I, as an institution, not the biggest fan. We talked about what it would look like for us to split up. Uh, <coughs> what, what would we do about the business? And we both agreed. And even to this day, uh, nothing would really change. I would just live somewhere else and we'd still do business together because we enjoy doing business together. And so I get questions from guys who are like, how do I get my girl to like whatever? And I'm like, you're not. Mm -hmm. She always liked it. You're mm -hmm. not going to change the person. And so one of the things that I loved about Layla was that up front, she said, I'm never going to try and change you. And to me, that was very freeing because like, I'm weird in my own ways. You know what I mean? And uh, almost like that little microcosm of that story with the, the proposal. Yeah. And mind you, lovely family, lovely people, awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but 
she, it was just pure acceptance. And so I think that like, if you can find somebody who just accepts you, like truly isn't like, Hey, you should dress this way, or Hey, you should cut your hair like this, or Hey, like all the, cause like there's big implications in that statement. It's, I don't care what you want for you. I want you to look like this for me. Now you could make the argument, well, I'm the one who looks at you all day and you want me to be attracted <laughs> to you, et cetera. But like, in my opinion, again, one man's two cents, mm-hmm. is that you should be attracted, should is a strong word, is that I think it works better if you are attracted to that person's natural state. Because if they, if the way they act, the way they dress, the way they, like, the way they are mm-hmm. is someone that you are attracted to, then mm-hmm. I think that's the game. I think you've won. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in, Layla and I call it loving logically, which is counter to all the Hollywood stuff. But like we talked about like, okay, well, what happens if we get divorced? What happens with the business? How are we going to do that? And I was like, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep running. It's like, okay, cool. Um, Layla and I have had one argument and it wasn't like a screamer match. It was just like, she really didn't want me to do this business thing. And I really wanted to do it. Uh, and I steamrolled her and I did it. Yeah. Um, and it was the wrong call. It was the wrong call. <laughs> yeah, it was the wrong call. And, uh, and she was right. But yeah. you know what? She's never once brought it up. That's, uh, that's, that's actually, that's dope. Yeah. She's never once been that way. And so I got a piece of advice from, uh, uh, a, a, a pastor about it. And he, uh, he said something to us that was really helpful. He said, if you don't agree, don't move forward. And we've, we've actually stuck with that. So people were like, what happens when it's a 50, 50? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's like, you keep, keep, you keep working on it. Yeah. You know, you keep, you keep working on it. And eventually you come up, you come up with a solution, you know, yeah. that works for brother. You compromise if you need to. Um, but I'm a big believer in uh, if you have the same information, you should make the same decision. Mm. And so if we don't agree on something, the first thing we usually say is what information you're working off of, yeah. which means that I have, incom- I have an incomplete data set compared to yours. And so then we share info rather than like arguing. It's like, oh, hold on, what are you thinking about? And like, sometimes she's like, oh, what about this employee might take it? I'm like, that's a great point. Mm. Didn't think about that. Good mm. call. Or sometimes I have something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but loving logically in that, like, <laughs> I think arranged marriages have, they've, not, I think they have high higher success rate. <laughs> significantly. And I think there's, I think it's a combination of two things. Yeah. One is low expectations. Mm-hmm. Second is high commitment. Mm-hmm. So like, if you define a successful marriage as one that does not break, which is not, I mean, it's a low bar, but at least it, keep, it keeps you, it keeps you married. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think Layla and I had huge expectations. Mm. Both of us weren't like planning on getting married. And if anything, I was getting out of like a, a, yeah. a fiance thing. And when we met, I said, I'm not interested in anything long-term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like, I'm just like, I'm living life. And if you want to live it with me, you can. And so our dates, we hung out every day after that first date was I'm working all day. If you want to work next to me, yeah, cool. And so that's how our, like, that's how our quote dates were. I think something, just that in itself is very powerful. Just, just enjoying being in someone's presence. Yeah. Even if you're not like entertaining yeah. one another or in date mode or whatever, yeah. like just liking, hey, I'm working. You know what? I prefer, I, I like you just being there. Yeah. I think that in itself says a lot. And I'll give you my last one because I know I just gave a bunch of them. No, um, dude, this, but, this is great right here. This is great. <laughs> um, I think three pieces and they're actually the same as they are with business is that you want someone with aligned mission, aligned values, and similar tastes or lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So aligned mission is like, do we want to go to the same place? Right. And when it, like, I've looked at a lot of past relationships, they wanted different things from life. From and that's, and again, I want it like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you want different things, then awesome. Like just go do what you want to do and try and find somebody else who also wants to do that thing. And yeah. then that way you don't have to spend the rest of your life either resenting that person or compromising. Like 
again, I'm not like a huge pro-marriage guy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pro like, do you, and if there's somebody else that's doing them and you can do that together, I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, men live 12 years longer on average who are married. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a life. So you want 12 more years, there you go. <laughs> um, so one is aligned mission. You want to go to the same place. The second is aligned values, which is you want to get there the same way. Right? It's like, how are we going to choose to navigate how we're getting there? Mm-hmm. And Layla and I share very similar values. I remember, I think it was the first date, I was talking about upsells and some, you know, some business thing. And she was just parroting back to me like all the stuff that this business was doing. And I was like, so you see that? Mm-hmm. She was like, yeah. And I, I felt really seen because I was like, I don't talk to anybody who thinks this stuff's interesting. And she was like, yeah, and then they do this. That's how they get you, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, um, and I think that that, for me, made me feel a lot less alone. Because I think a lot of times, I mean, probably a lot of guys guys and girls, like yeah. you feel very alone. And uh, I think if you can have someone who doesn't make you feel alone, that's a really big gift. Because a lot of people are in relationships where like when you, when you go to sleep at night and the person's next to you, you're laying on the pillow, you're like... Um, like, what am I doing? Mm. Like, what's like, and you feel more alone in that moment than, than you were when you were alone. Right. Um, or lonely, whatever the, the quippy saying is. Um, and so you, you want to have somebody who wants to get there the same way as you. Cause I think if you have a shared experience of reality, then you get to enjoy everything together. If you have a different experience, which is why, like when people spent live lives together and they live separate lives, I think one of the tough parts is like, if the lady is at home all the time and the guy's getting exposed to work stimuli all the time, you're going to adapt to the environment you're in. And if you're in different environments, like in the beginning, the opposites attract part is what creates the chemistry. But if there isn't enough overlap, then it just fizzles because they're just two strangers that Mm. it doesn't actually make sense for them to be together. Because like, why would you just be with this random girl who like, sure, maybe she's attractive, but then like, then what? Like Mm. she's into completely different things than you, right? And then it's like, you have no shared interests, Mm -hmm. which is really the last one which is like the tastes and lifestyle and the things you enjoy doing. Yeah. So it's like, we both like fitness. If I liked fitness and the person I dated didn't like fitness, that would be a big part of my life that I wouldn't really like the way I eat and it's the a way big I work one. out. Yeah. It's a big one. It's a big chunk, yeah. right? Like if I didn't have somebody who was into that, like that is a pain. Yeah. Like that's just like now, now for me to be me, I actually, it's like a, it's like a give on the other person. Like I have to ask mm. for like, there's a whole, all this time I'm not going to spend with you for the rest of our lives together. Because of this interest that I have. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think yeah. with that one in particular, and I've seen this happen yeah. in other people's situations, is it can create resentment. Yes. Right? Because if you're someone who is training and you're looking after your body, you're mm-hmm. minding what you eat, you're putting in all this effort, and you're with someone who just wants to sit there and eat trash and not exercise and not train and, yeah. you know, get out of shape in the process. Yeah. And, yeah. and in the process of that, it leads to people getting out of shape and, you know, they're you're the, you're there and, you know, you're in, you're in good shape. Yeah. And then you know, your, your wife or girlfriend is kind of slowly ballooning up over the years, right? It creates resentment on both angles. Cause you're like, Hey, like stop being a slob, like eat, eat prop, yeah. like, you, you know, you want to push them in that way, not in a mean way, but you want to, yeah. you want to encourage them and you do want them to look good. Um, and then they can also have that envy or jealousy of like, Hey, like I don't, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen situations where women want to like fatten up their men a little bit to kind of like keep. <laughs> oh no, I have right. Like like they're, they're like no, I don't want you. You're you're a little you're you're a little too ripped. You're looking a little too yeah. a little too good, right? And it creates this very odd. Yeah. It creates a very weird dynamic. So something like you know being into fitness might not seem on paper like oh this is something important, but I actually think it is. I think it's very important. I think it's also important that 
I, I can see with you and her, you both have a, the, the self-improvement streak, mm-hmm. right? If you're someone who's into self-improvement and you're with someone who is not, again, over time, yeah. that, gap, that gap just grows. If you're just like, I'm getting better all the time, like I'm working, I'm trying to get better, I'm trying to level up, level up, level up, and the other person's just happy to just stay the same yeah. and just stagnate, again, over time, it creates, it creates the shift. And I think it... Yeah, I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen that play out with other people. I'm very observant of other people's relationships, whether yeah. it's whether it's successful or or unsuccessful. Yeah. I like to learn from it all, and then be like, okay, cool. I'm making notes on all this stuff, just like I do with other aspects of life. I think the growth one's huge. It is like arguably the biggest. I mean, I think uh, there was. I'll, I'll give you an example. So, if I had to name one trait about Layla that I value the most, it's that she's coachable. Mm. And so she responds to feedback immediately and aggressively. And so earlier on when we were dating, uh, you know, like if, if, if someone's laughing, they're like, ah, you're so stupid. Ah, 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 right. Um, she used to say that. And I remember she said that to me and, uh, I said, I don't like it when you say that. Mm. Um, and maybe it was my own insecurities. Maybe I identify as being smart, whatever, whatever, whatever reason. Right. And somebody could say, Hey, you should just work on that. Alex, you shouldn't project it on her, blah, 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 whatever. It's a hell of a lot easier to just ask somebody to just not do this yeah. thing, right? And I remember telling her that. And to this day, she's never done it again. Yeah. And it wasn't like some big punishment or anything like that. It wasn't like some like, I was just like, can you not say that? I was like, I just, I don't like, I don't like it when you say that. Yeah. And her speed to correct behavior is unlike anything. I mean, she's faster than I am. Like she, like she can hear something once and just immediately, that's why I think she's such a good operator mm. um, for our companies. But like, if you have somebody who cannot, take feedback and that's with that kind of growth perspective um that's tough because then you can't orient yourselves with one another yeah and i think there's a difference between changing like values versus changing uh, a small behavior mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it's it's also that thing you said before like men do want respect totally. again it's not it's not talk what men actually want is not talked about a lot in our society yeah. right i think we hear a lot about what women want we don't hear a lot about <laughs> like it's true right we yeah. don't isn't there a woman? There's a movie called that, right? Like you don't hear, you don't hear a lot about like what men actually desire, yeah. right? And I think something like that is, you know, I don't think it's an ego thing. I, I think it's just a respect thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, calling someone, you know, even if it's a joke, yeah, right, saying, oh, you know, the, the stupid. It's it, and I also think if someone, if someone, lo- if someone loves and respects you, then they don't want to disrespect you, even if it's something that seems like silly or frivolous or whatever, you know, like if someone. If you said, hey, you know, I don't, I don't like it when you do that. And they like, they make a huge thing about it. To me, that would be like a red flag. Cause I'm like, hey, I'm just, yeah, I'm doing all, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this. You know, I'm, yeah. if you ask me, if you said, hey, you know, Zuby, this thing you're doing is like really bothering me or whatever. And it's like some very minor thing. I'll be like, okay, cool. No problem. Like yeah. I'll, I'll cut that out. Cause I love you. Yeah. Right. And I think the other way around, cool. Like I love and respect you. So yeah. cool. Like whatever. Why, 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 why hang on to that thing? Like, yeah. so, um, Alex, man, I know you've been super generous with your time. Yeah, um, I know we're coming up to, we're coming up to the two hour mark. Yeah. So one last question before we, uh, before we close it out is for anyone who is out there mm-hmm. who is entrepreneur curious, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> entrepreneur. Who, entrepreneur. One, yeah. Entrepreneur. Anyone out there who is there, you know, either they're in a, they're in a job already or they're just coming out of college or they're considering going to college, whatever, lots of different situations, but for that guy or that gal who is just not sure of what to do, what should I do next? What should I do first? Yeah. What would be your advice for that person? 
So I think you have to decide whether you want to make the work that you do right now your main hustle or make your main thing the side hustle and your side hustle the main hustle. Meaning if you're in a career that you enjoy and you just need to put your reps in, then stop being distracted and go all in on that because not everyone is going to be an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's definitely like uh, glamorized right now. Um, on the flip side, if you are like, I, I want to do this thing, I want to get into this entrepreneurial game, then you need to work really hard at your job because excellence is a trait. And then you also need to work really hard outside of your job. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, then that means that you're asking me to sacrifice my family or you're asking me to sacrifice. Yes, I'm asking you. I mean, I'm not asking you anything. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, Don't literally sacrifice yeah, your family. Yeah, do but... not do on the altar. Um <laughs> There's trade-offs and there's seasons. And if you have zero to start, then you need to get the momentum and the momentum and just like, you have to work double time. Like you have to do your normal job and then you got to work to get ahead. Um, And so my kind of steps there is like, start the thing, start making money from the thing, start making enough money that it replaces your current income, do that for six months. And then at that point, you can get the rest of your time back and go all in on it. I think that's the, the safest bet to do it. I, to be clear, I did not do that. I saved up what I thought was a year and a half of living or maybe two years of living for me, which was 50 grand. But then I spent that opening a gym mm. and then I had two months <laughs> of rent left. And so uh, I definitely went a little bit more do or die. And again, I've said before and I'll say it again, I was, I was lucky. I don't, I would not have advised myself to do that. I just think I was, I got a one out of five shot and I, and it worked. Awesome, man. And Alex, where's the best place for people to find and follow you online? Well, if you're a podcaster, I have a podcast called The Game by Alex Ramosi or with Alex Ramosi. If you type my name in, you'll find me. Um, and if you're on the interwebs of YouTubes and stuff, if you type my name in, Alex Ramosi, you will find me. And if you're a company that does over you know a million or plus in profit and you're looking for a uh, minority partner to help you grow or a majority exit, just uh, go to acquisition.com and we're happy to take a look at the company and see if we can help. Awesome. Alex Ramosi, thanks for coming on the show, bro. It's been really good getting to know you and to finally have you on. I've been wanting to chat to you for a while. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully we delivered. (laughs) No doubt, man. 100%. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.